welcome to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Resident Evil, The Last Chapter. My name is Long. I'm here. Well, you don't know, Kelly Wan. You don't know. Stand by for that. We'll find out. I'm here with Christian McClaskey. In our trinity of bitches, I think I'm the Jesus. <laughs> and with our Resident Evil Last Chapter tagline aficionado, Kelly Wand. It's like Friday the 13th, the final chapter, except in this one, the main character carries a long knife. <laughs> okay. Keep them coming, though, Kelly Wand. I feel like this is a, a rich font for taglines, this movie. It's like Underworld, but with a pale brunette woman in black leather. <laughs> Are there more? Keep going. Finally, a sixth title that taps into our fear of evil owning property. His best since Magnolia. Oh, that was below the belt. I don't know about too soon, but certainly Dirty Pool. That was rough. Below the belt. <laughs> That's below the belt? At all, does? You just, just proved because, yourself to be the master. Just because he shares a name or two names with that fella. Uh, he should just go all the way. P.T. Anderson should just call himself Paul W.S. Anderson. I mean, that's why that's why he's having to go by P.T., I assume, so people don't think, oh, it's the resident P.T. Barham's son. Oh, yeah, right. well, that not that anymore. Yeah. That's not, no longer going concern. Hmm. No longer going concerns. Yeah. Circuses are dead, Kelly Wand. They are? Speaking yeah. of circuses, Bingus, tell the listeners what movie we watched this week, but don't spoil anything about it just yet. All right. Uh, this week we saw Resident Evil colon the final chapter. Wrong, according to Kelly Wand. Sad. Uh, a 2017 American action horror sci-fi sequel franchise movie about the importance of being Alice. It was written and directed by Paul William Scott Anderson. It stars. I think I know that's what the WS stood for. Dingus, you did. Is that that's that's something you researched? Yeah, Paul William Scott. William Scott Anderson. Okay. Now, this guy has way too many – because Anderson's almost first name. This guy almost has four – he's got three and a half first names. He really does, yeah. And he also reminds me of you always trying to do Sean William Scott's name. William Scott, Sean Speedman. Right. That's right because I probably confused the two of them. All right. At least uh, so one, of, one of those two people is talented though. Yeah, one of them. Uh, William, Paul William Scott Anderson directed and wrote this actually. Uh, it stars Amila Jovovich. Jovovich. <laughs> wow, Dingus. that's racist against Ukrainians. I know. I I didn't. I never know whether to say Jovovich or Jovovich. Oh well, it's, it's not. She's not Spanish. I'm assuming you hit the J, don't you? Yeah, Isn't I think Jov- so. It's Amila Jovovich. Uh, and then Ian. How do you say Ian? Ian Glenn. Uh, Ali Larner. I know how to say. Dingus, you say it. Mormont. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, Ali Lardner. Larter and Sean Roberts, who I can't believe keeps showing up as Wesker. Well, who else are they going to get? Ingus? I have no idea, but this guy. I think Val, Val Kilmer's at a point in his career and his bo- sort of body mass that he could make an interesting Wesker. I think so too. I think he always seems like he's a placeholder for somebody else who's going to actually be. <laughs> Put into the movie. <laughs> right, he's the stand-in, and for a while they do the lighting, and they forgot to ask him to get out of the way when they shot the scene and bring in. They they left the real actor in his trailer, and they actually right. start shooting. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Resident Evil: The Final Chapter is rated R. 
Well, now, come on. Four. Yeah. Sequences of violence throughout. That's all they have to say. Huh. Kelly Warren, do you think they should have said more? Well, I saw the German dubbed version again. But I would have added shots of dead CG looking upset, an occasional sense of finality, and thematic elements. (laughs) But I'm just a dilettante in the ratings biz. Uh, Resident Evil, the last or final? I can't can't believe that. The last chapter, right? No, it's final. final. That's why I said wrong. Oh, because did I say last chapter? Yeah. Ah, that's why I was wrong. Okay, I see. At any rate, we do know whether it's final or last. We do know it's the latest chapter, so maybe we should refer to it. That's what it should say. Yeah. That's what the title should be. Rotten Tomatoes has this at 41% of the reviews being positive. Metacritic has an average rating of 54. Idiots don't really care for this because it only got a B on CinemaScore. And a A B on CinemaScore is not good. Speaking of, uh, of not good, this is the lowest Resident Evil opening of all time. Uh, the sixth, fifth, however many movies, uh, the, all the previous Resident Evils have opened in the 60 to 40 million dollar range. This one opened at 14 million dollars. Number four, it came in number four behind M. Night Shyamalan's movie, behind A Dog's Purpose, and behind F- Hidden Fences. Uh, so yeah, this did not have a very strong opening. I, and I kind of get the sense. Did to, you do that uh, on purpose? Do what on purpose? Hidden fences. Oh, hidden fences. No, shoot a monkey. So, who incepted me with that thing? It's one of Michael our friends. Keaton. Michael, Michael Keaton made uh, a mistake about that in a in I think at the Golden Globes and then had to apologize for it. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. Yeah. No, dingus. I was intentionally referencing what he said. I didn't. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Hidden figures. I'm, I'm the only one here who's seen it, by the way. Hidden right. figures. Yeah. Uh, so it did not do well financially, and I'm guessing. Uh, I get the sense that – well, we'll talk about this when we start talking about it. Uh, let's see. <laughs> but isn't the takeaway that people don't like to see movies with the words final chapter in them because it makes them feel sad? Like, oh, I, it's an I just, well, I'll save it. We could check the exit polling on that and see if that came up as an issue. Yeah. Or the triple exit polling. Remember when we saw triple X? Man, those were the days. I like yeah, that. I know. That was the I'll say that the German – oh, maybe I should say this, but I'm afraid I'll forget. But the Germans clapped at the end of Triple X, and at the end of this, they just stared at me like, yo, American, why? (laughs) Why did you do this to us? Yeah, why why is not more Triple X in this? Do you always go to see it with the same group of Germans? Yeah, they were sitting there since I left for Triple X. They really had a lot of faith in the second movie. Kelly, when I get my guess is that you being American, the looks you're getting from Germans has less to do with the movie and more to do with other things going on. I'm trying to cultivate <laughs> a British accent, yeah, so that they advice. don't know that I'm American. Kelly Wand, give us the Resident Evil last final <laughs> final chopsis. Uh, Wait, start all over. I like to do <laughs> I had to look up hear- the name of it. Resident Evil, the final chopsis. Is that what you would call a synopsis of Resident Evil, the final chapter? I went with Resident Epsis, the final chapsis. Yeah, yours is way better. I want to hear what you just said, not what I suggested. All right. Let's do that then. 
Kevin, before you do this, I want you to do that thing where you sort of tilt your neck to the side and crack it, like like the the uh, amp the, yeah. one like the Nazi does in the, the Wesker, movie. the Wesker move. Well, that's better. Ian, Glenn, I thought Ian Glenn did it. Somebody did that thing where you tilt your neck to crack it before you're about to get into it. Uh, Wesker mm. does it a lot in Afterlife. Ah. Well, that was his whole. That man, those were the days. Yeah. I was surprised I to find out there's only six of these. I would. I felt like thirty. Is it six or five? It is it's six. Three. I think it is. Six. I think you're right. But I think <clears> you <throat> have to. Surprised. I think you have to include the um, the video games. Well, yeah. we'll, in, in we'll your in your them. in your sense memory, maybe that's why it feels like more in my head. I think so. Like everything does. Oh, I, I forgot to attribute this to Capcom because the credits do. Oh. It's video game property. Yeah, fair enough. They should just stick to movies. That's my review. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my blurb. They should just. They, it's also my blurb for all their games. I mean. <laughs> The ones I have Resident Epsis, the final chapsis. <laughs> the following is based on a version I saw dubbed into German a week after seeing Triple X the same way. <laughs> German may not be an actual language. Some people get out a cable card, write it up towards the Raccoon City Rubble Museum. Halfway into the journey, a kid's all, Hey, Dad, look what I can do. He sneezes, turns into a zombie, and starts eating the other passengers. His dad's all, Yeah, you're nine now. Quit acting six. When it reaches the top, Simon Pegg, who's left acting to operate cable cars, looks in at the bloody windows and watches bored as the door opens. Suddenly, someone inside high-fives him against the glass. (laughs) Wouldn't they just run out when it opened? Never mind. Mila Jovovich's voice is all... That was the fifth worst cable car ride I've ever taken, and the third worst of the franchise. Also, that Simon Pegg character, he's not in the rest of the movie. His final chapter's already over. Unfortunately for you, mine was only re-beginning. We cut to her lying in a hospital bed as a little kid. She overturns a hospital tray in bullet time into a nurse's face and goes, You call this morphine? Mila's off. That's me in a flashback. As you can see, I was pretty traumatized from the cable car ride. A bunch of TV screens showing scenes from the last 38 Resident Evil movies start (laughs) flying past us. She's all, that's me yawning in the first movie. There's me in a gorilla suit. Sometimes I actually miss Passan. Is that weird? That's me blowing up a car. That's Michelle Rodriguez snarling. I didn't think she could pull that off. That's some CG. Wait, no, sorry. That's my boyfriend, the director. Okay, that's CG. I mean, no, wait, that's Rona Mitra and Doomsday. Sorry. Okay, these screens are some zombies or PAs. Uh, there's the guy with the axe. Me and Allie Lauder killed in movie four by getting our shirts wet. Uh, that's me doing my speech in the trailer for The Fourth Kind. It kind of tapped into our fears of owls. All the TV screens form a giant mosaic of her face. The screen Mila face stares at us for a second. And goes, um... We tried to do this shot with real TVs for a couple days. <laughs> also, for what it's worth, up until this morning, I thought I was dating the other Paul Thomas Anderson, which is why this is the final chapter. <laughs> in quotes, my name in this is still Alice or Mila. I look over at the jump scare sitting beside me and go, a milliseconds about how long I'd last in her. Oh. It, it turns out to be just a cat. Meanwhile, in the Dumber movie, Mila gets out of her Jeep, sighs at the scenery, and goes, 
Yeah, I'm not seeing that Washington Monument on the map here at all. Fuck. Suddenly, a flying lizard with a vagina head and scorpion nuts is <laughs> oh, That's some plague. That was once a human? That's her saying. That. She tricks it by being seatbelted, then by blowing up her car. <laughs> she wipes her hands with satisfaction, looks at us, and goes, I have special DNA or something, like in Fifth Element and Chaplin. She gets into another car, revs the engine, smirks at us, then roars forward a few feet, and then runs over some spikes as the car's roof gets sliced off by something. <laughs> she gets out and goes, good thing I always drive by lying down on the passenger seat. Guess I'll just... <laughs> She walks into a loop of cable and dangles by one leg from an overpass. Nearby, Tony Collette dangling with her foot, also caught, points at <laughs> Very nice crossover, Kelly Wan. You have to have seen two dumb movies within a week for that show to make sense. You have to have seen Triple's going, you know what? I got another two hours in me. Suddenly, some guys in body armor show up and start punching her in the stomach. One <laughs> That's from messing up our cable loop. She tricks them by killing them, and by them forgetting to all shoot her at the same time. The cable gives up and lets her down. She dusts herself off and goes, now to start watching where I... Wah! She falls into a nearby giant crater, down 500 feet, and into a room with a little red girl in it made out of CG. The little girl said, well done still, Alice, point in the entrance. But first, in addition, everything you've done in the first five movies is a test. I'm going to test ya. A zombie lurches at Mila. She does something to its face with her hand, but since Paul Thomas Anderson cuts it into 180 different close-ups in half a second, it's impossible <laughs> to be more specific. The little girl's all. That wasn't the test, but let's skip it. Listen closely, for I program myself to say that although I'm also an old mannish woman in a wheelchair wearing a pearl necklace and a rusty trombone, I'm also a computer called the Red Queen. And your name's Alice. See? See what they did there? That guy from the movie 4, he's the, uh, he's the Tin Woodsman. Guess Raccoon City's Emerald City. Anyway, you have an hour and 45 minutes of screen time to find and drop a crazy straw full of Windex onto some ground. She shows us a picture of a scowling Nazi with blonde hair. She's all, this is the villain in this, so try not to get captured by him. There's also a guy with sunglasses. He's dumb. Good luck, and may the resident... <laughs> Nilla walks off screen while Matrix music plays. She somehow gets out of the crater, then sees a motorcycle. She's all, color this girl's vehicular cold streak over, bitches. She gets on, tries to start it by using her thumb, and sees some words that say, unauthorized user, electrocution in 30 seconds. <laughs> She's still trying to read this when electrocuser. <laughs> when she wakes up, she's tied to another cable, this time by her wrists, and being dragged behind a puttering Damnation Alley RV half-track with a mock <laughs> zombies chasing her. Inside the blonde Nazi all, damn it! Why are those stupid zombies still chasing us? Can't they see from the way I've tied Nilla to the back of this that I could also do that to one of them? <sighs> His Asian friends all, Sir, maybe if we untied her and just let them eat her, they'd leave us alone. The blonde guy shoots him. All the other guys look uneasy for a second, but then look back at Nilla <laughs> being dragged behind the RV and feel more relaxed about their career path. One of them points at the screen and goes, By the way, sir, she's jumping up on top of our vehicle. Uh, maybe we made her cable shorter? 
Weird. No one tried that before. <laughs> now she's dropping grenades down her chimneys. Wait, why do we have chimp? He explodes. The head blonde guy sighs with irritation and goes up top to teach Millicent discipline. They punch each other and knife fight. Then he tricks her by hitting a plastic button on his belt that frees her wrists. They fight some more till she tricks him by, again by putting a button on the RV's chassis that says motorcycles and one tricycle inside me. A drawer full of cycles opens. The blonde Nazi laughs at her and goes, ha, stupid franchise protagonist. These motorcycles only answer to my thumbprint. Or anyone, if I'm dead. She cuts off his hand, presses the thumbprint to the scanner, and drives off while he shakes his stump after her in fury. <laughs> One of the other apocanazis is all, at least our motorcycle ignition keys aren't dicks. <laughs> Miller rides her motorcycle into Raccoon City, which only has one gated entrance. Above it's a sign that says Raccoon City, Muslims and Raccoons out. Zombies, welcome. She rides to a circular skyscraper, then leaps off the seat of the motorcycle in slow motion. <laughs> Somersaults and lands in a side split, guns drawn, arms in both directions. Eventually, she's all... Nothing? Okay. She holsters her... <laughs> steps into a cable that whips her up into the air by her foot again. She's all, God damn it! Her black friend with a beard walks on screen. He's all, same old Job a bitch. A man with a beard walks on screen. He's all, I secretly work for the Nazis. I mean, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) So he's not that Wesker guy you guys are talking about. (laughs) A red-haired girl's all, I might have been in movie two, but played by a blonder man. Another girl with a backpack just shrugs at us. Still dangling from the cable, Millazal. I can only imagine how much applause this reunion is causing in the theater right now. But I also have good news. I annoyed some Nazis, and they'll be here with a million zombies to kill us by nightfall. I also brought this. She hurls the Nazi's hand at the backpack girl. The black friends all. Same old Jovovich. Three hours later, the sun loses interest, and everybody stands at the ramparts at the top of the stupid skyscraper, looking out at the oncoming horde of zombies and RVs. The red-haired girls all, Okay, I replaced all the drinking water in these barrels here with pee to drop on the zombies. They're going to feel just like Carrie. The bearded guys all, I raided my friends the Nazis to tell them to come attack you. I mean, my enemies to tell them. <laughs> the black friend shakes his head and goes, Same old, hey, where's Jovovich? The backpack curls all, fuck, we forgot to untie her. They all look down at Jovovich tied to the cable still far below and start waving hello. Meanwhile, jo- <laughs> Meanwhile, Mila Jovovich, still tied to her cable, climbs up to the top of the skyscraper, then rapples down it. The cable, the lad's surrounded by hordes of zombies. She holds off all of them by shooting one or two, then runs up onto one of the RVs and begins dropping Molotovs and grenades down the chimneys. The blonde Nazi's Asian friends all, sir, she's doing that thing again with the grenade. <laughs> Also, Gary's reporting he's on fire. <laughs> the blonde Nazi's all, I'll show her to rue the day she cut off my hand. Get up there and do martial arts while I run away. <laughs> uh, I don't actually know any. Yes, I said while. <laughs> Mila tricks the Asian guy by tying him up to be dragged behind the RV for the chasing zombies to claw at. The Asian guy's all, wait, what? Who's even driving this now? <laughs> Meanwhile, Mila wakes up screaming at the top of the skyscraper. 
She looks at her wrist and goes, great, now we only have ten minutes left. What did I miss? <laughs> the black friends all. Um, the Nazis let this middle-aged woman loose to run from zombies, but we opened the portcullis too slowly. <laughs> what? Plus they shot her at the last second, like Rakan on Game of Thrones. Supposedly, oh. We didn't really know the woman at all, as opposed to how well we know Rakan. Mila looks at her watch again and goes, great, there goes another 30 seconds, plus the five I just used just now complaining about it. Now let's get down there, invade uh, Umbrella Headquarters? <laughs> Seriously? And do whatever the fuck my ex-boyfriend's idea of final chapter means. <laughs> she turns around, takes two steps, and gets yanked up into the air by a cable around her leg. She's like, God damn it! As the zombies and half-eaten, tied-up Asian Nazi all point and laugh at her, I look over at Len Wiseman sitting beside me and go... Okay, so Miller's DNA and Beckinsale's vampirism make them good at firing guns. What was Vin Diesel's weapon of choice again? Dingus stands up, pumps his fist, and goes, DICE! <sighs> Back in Resident Evil, Mila and her friends <laughs> pick some CG dogs by running into a tunnel. <laughs> Dingus is done. <laughs> I don't know why he hates it. I don't get it. Because <laughs> I never said I never said that. I never said any Look, of that. Alternative facts. Meanwhile, the blonde Nazi, <laughs> who's now somehow at the heart of the base, Miller's been complicatedly trying to enter, puts some contact lenses on his eyes and goes, Ha ha! Now this anti-Miller Jovovich eye app I just installed will use slow motion math to predict which sharp items she'll use on this tabletop to stab me. Then show me a bunch of different options for me to tell her not to in. His sunglass friends all. That's awesome. Won't it take you longer to analyze each of her options? <laughs> you get what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Kelly wrote it out right. It's just too hard to say it. You know? <laughs> blah, blah. That character's only lying. The blonde Nazi scowls at him and tries to punch him, but his hand's missing. So he tries to flip him off, but he can't do that either. The Asian, who's back, looks at his screen and goes, Sir Mill and her friends are for some reason walking through some giant fan blades on level two. Maybe we should call this movie Resident Evil Ventilation. Uh, the blonde Nazi's all perfect. Turn the fan on. <laughs> it's a little stuffy down there. I feel bad for them. The fan blades come on and start sucking Mila and her extras back towards them while they hang on to something off screen. To the backpack girl, Mila's all, don't worry, Stinky. I sewed this backpack myself. Just hang on to the strap. Stinky's all, thanks, Mila. I really appreciate this. Wait, you need to hold on to you, Winnie? Wah! <laughs> the backpack girl. Yeah, Wesker. No. Stinky. That's what Mila says when she gets sucked in. Right. Into the control room. I mean, in the control room, she just gets sucked into it. It's different. In the control room, the blonde Nazis all. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, turn off the fan. The Asians all. Turn it off? Why? The rest of them are seconds away from all getting sucked in. <laughs> he shouts because the blonde guy's glaring at him. Meanwhile, in some white crawl spaces, Mila's black friends all. I've got to say, Stinky's death hit me hard, but it was pretty telegraphed, too, so that's cool. Wah! The floor panel beneath him opens up. He falls 20 feet onto another floor panel. 
He's all, guys, I'm okay. Like I was saying, I really think Paul Anderson's come a long way since his first movie. I'm talking about the There Will Be Blood director, obviously, not this hack. A man, a panel near him opens up, but he crawls over to it and falls through. Mila's all, Jesus Christ. Okay, the rest of you, try not to be dumb. Hello? Hello? What? She turns around, the red-haired girl stuck in a glass cube, hanging from a chain, just like (laughs) Yogi Kudu. She says something, but Mila can't hear her. The girl breathes on the glass and uses her finger to write, you can't hear me. She draws a heart around it. (laughs) Mila shakes her head and wakes up screaming to find herself in a room with a catatonic old lady in a wheelchair and the blonde Nazi and her bearded friend. The bearded friend's all, by the way, I'm not a traitor. I mean, I am. Fuck. sees all. Now on the advice of my contact lenses to do this. He pushes a button that makes Mila walk into a tunnel and jump through a bunch of lasers that courteously keep moving out of her way as she wriggles around. <laughs> she looks at the Nazi and goes, didn't I already do this in the first movie? He's all, oh, yeah. Well, now to get you two-fifths back for cutting off my hand. He turns the lasers back on and holds her <laughs> fingers out so the lasers cut off a couple of them, but somehow it's him. Then he punches her a few times and shoves her away. <laughs> the ultimate revenge. She laughs, then raises a couple grenade pins in her remaining fingers. She's all, ha ha, Paul Anderson saw Raising Arizona. And for the worlds. The Magnolia director, I mean, obviously, not fuckstick over there. The blonde Nazi is all, why didn't my contact lenses anticipate this? And wait, why do I have grenades on his other hand explodes? (laughs) Still ladies all. Miller, much like Forrest Whitaker in Rogue One, it's always too late to save me. Here. She hands her a jar of spiral-colored CG (laughs) and drives her wheelchair into a fireball. Miller's all, I won't forget this character. Till the movie's over. Mila lets the explosion blow her back to the surface, then waits till a million zombies are just about to eat her before she drops the CG on some rocks and a couple drops of it spill out lamely in 3D. All the zombies and German audience members sitting near me lose interest. The red-headed girl walks on screen and goes, I survived the explosion, by the way. The other captive in the cube with me was the bullet. The bearded guy walks on screen and goes, I got blown up. I mean, didn't. Wait, yeah, I did. <laughs> The red-headed girl's all, well, I guess this was the final chapter. Which director will you sleep with next, Mila? Mila grins, gets onto a motorcycle, uses the blown-up Nazi's finger bone to start it, waits for a couple pterodactyls to chase her, and goes, my name in these is still out. Wah! A cable yanks the motorcycle upward. The end. (laughs) All right, that's over with. Thank God. All right, uh, we've seen... We've seen all of these, right? Dingus, you said you were trying to make an effort to watch a bunch of these this week. Were you serious? Yeah, yeah. I was trying to watch all all six of them this week. How'd got, you do? I got five out of six. What, the, what, what was the problem with the sixth? Uh, I just I didn't have, I, I ran out of time seeing uh, Retribution, oh. which was the one right before the final chapter, the penultimate chapter, I guess. I missed. Retribution's the fifth title? After yeah. Afterlife, there's a retribution? Yeah. It, it goes Resident Evil, Apocalypse, Extinction, Afterlife, Retribution, Final Chapter. And is Afterlife the best? Is that what, 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 how, do they, how do they fall out, Dingus? What's the quality? Uh, afterlife is definitely the best. Um, yeah. And then I would put the first Resident Evil, and then I would put this one, actually. What? 
Yeah, I would put this one this over. This the third best out of six. Yeah, I'd, I would put this definitely over. I think Apocalypse is probably the worst, uh, then Extinction, then Retribution, as far they as They really blend together. Yeah, they, they really do. do. Yeah. And I, the, just the degrees of awfulness. Like I, I only remember when they stand out, which I remember liking, liking Afterlife. But uh, for the life of me, I can't imagine what, what, what makes this better than the other three, Dingus. Like what, what are the good things you could say about this one? Uh, boy, uh, you know, um, I liked, I, I don't know, I, I kind of liked the, the, I kind of liked where it eventually went. I, I kind of like the way it, it fits into, uh, I don't think it works as far as a whole, um, but I like it, the way it fits into the way that the thing kind of, this, this huge, like, sprawling, if you want to call it a, a terrible epic, uh, plays out. Um, I don't think that any of the story points make any sense, um, but I think it's a terrible epic. That's what annoys epic. me about them, is if you try to follow them, you're not rewarded. No, no, you, you really aren't, because I don't think that the, the old woman who, as soon as you hear her voice at the end of the table, you know, you know where they're going. Um, but, uh, but I don't think it works out st- Story-wise, it doesn't make any sense as far as the age of the characters, um, but I like the idea as far as where it where it fits in, in what I would call a terrible epic. Um, so uh, I I kind of liked the idea of like which you know who's uh, I'm a clone. Wait, I'm a clone? No, I'm not a clone. You're a clone. Which one's a clone? Uh, I like that better than it was handled in in the other movies, like in uh, I think it's Extinction where. They're just dumping her body into this pit in the desert somewhere, and there's like a, a ton of her bodies in there because they're just cloning her and cloning her and cloning her, trying to figure out how her blood works. Um, I like I like more the way, that, like Ian Glenn's character and her character uh, are trying to figure out well which one is me? I am me or am I not me? I kind of like the way that works out, and I do like the that that sort of um, I don't know, kind of Hal version of the Red Queen, who is like, uh, you know, I, even though it's a RoboCop joke, joke, uh, eventually, um, I can't fight against people. I can't, I can't endanger anybody in the Umbrella Corporation. Um, this is my quandary, and I want you to help me. I kind of like how that works out. I like this little. There's this little moment in that scene in Washington D.C. where she says, "Behind you." Uh, that I just thought was the first moment in this movie where I was like, okay, I might like a little bit of this. So that's why I would put this as third. The other, the other three are just so incompetently directed that that they they can stack however they want. But this one, I think, at least works as far as the other two are concerned. It's they're not. It's not as good as the other two. I mean, Afterlife is head and shoulders above. And I had to see this stupid thing in 3D, um, and it's nowhere yeah, near as good as the Afterlife 3D. And German. I didn't. I saw it in German, so maybe it didn't make sense to me. <laughs> uh, did you like? The th- did you like the three D? No, but I never do. I didn't oh. think the thing that bugs me about this guy is he's not getting better as a director, and he keeps making these. Like I would have thought by the six one. Um, I don't know. It would have been more because there's. There's stuff in this movie that should be kind of better than the other one. Like, she fights in daylight, and there's a big siege that I should like. But there's no – he 
his sense of spatial awareness still bugs me. Like, well, no, that seems that's terrible. I, I mean, he, and he, I think he did get better with Afterlife, and he got far worse here. That's the one with the but, guy with the axe, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, Tom, where are you? What do you think? I, I'm with Kelly in that my problem is that I do think he's – like I get the sense that he – I don't know if he's lost interest, but he's not putting the kind of care and attention into this that gave us some of the really stylish, memorable bits that we got in Afterlife. There's no sign of that director anymore, and I don't feel like Mila Jovovich really is invested yeah. in what's going on. I don't even feel like Sony, like Screen Gems, has any idea what to do with this, which is part of why it's getting dumped out here in January and they're not really behind it. Uh, I don't think anybody involved cares about these anymore, and it shows – and it extends to me. Like I, Kelly, that's an excellent observation. Is my problem isn't so much that this isn't good, but my problem is that he's done enough of these and he's done them better. That why, if he's doing them, is this as as dull and uninspired and forgettable? Why is the it's it's put together? I feel like ineptly. Like it's just edited so poorly. There's some nice long stylish takes in Afterlife, and there's nothing like that here. It's all just chopped suey stuff. He's just cutting things together with different angles and rapid quick cuts in, in lieu of action scenes. Uh, I I'm just so put out with I, and I think I was. I think I was remembering Afterlife fondly enough that I was kind of looking forward to this. I was, and also after last week, I was pleasantly surprised with how much dumb fun Triple X was. And this was just dumb without the fun, which yeah. is just really oppressively. It's just discouraging. Because um, the Triple X and and the Fast and Furious movies, those keep ramping up and like getting crazier every movie. And these are just like these these feel like grandpa movies to me now. Yeah, and like, Dingus, I get. Like they're being made by a, a grandpa or uh, – because for me, Kelly Wan, grandpa movie means anything that's old and black and white that I don't understand. But that's what I'm saying. I, this, no, no, I know. But uh, like that's analogous to these okay. in terms of like uh, okay. dumb action movies. Like Fast and Furious 7 has shit I've never seen before in it. And they keep making more money because they're more inventive and they're trying. And it's it's like Justin Lin really – it seemed like even by the sixth one, I'm sure he was really sick of hearing cars start up in his head and was probably having nightmares. Like he's still – there's a lot of great shit in that movie. Well, Justin Lin came on – like he came in later. Like it was a Rob Cohen – who did the second one, Dingus? The second Fast and Furious, do you know? John Singleton. I watched it. Yeah, I yeah, right, right, right. So – and I'm wondering too. That was – as I was watching this is I'm thinking, well, you know, Paul Anderson, if you can't summon the creativity and the energy yeah, – Exactly. Why is it someone else directing these? And I think it's just that Sony doesn't care enough about the franchise. Uh, well, they tried it with – the two with the two movies that followed, they tried it with Apocalypse, which is directed by a guy named Alexander Witt, and oh, then they and then really? they tried it with Extinction, which is directed by Russell Mulcahy. And oh yeah, right, right, that's right. I didn't know, I didn't I didn't about think, that. I didn't know. And, that. And Russell Mulcahy, yeah, Russell Mulcahy goes way back though. Like I would think. Yeah, like that would that would be a cause to be excited, but that was terrible, wasn't it? I did not realize, thing is that it was the return of Paul S. W. S. Anderson. Now I'm even more disappointed. Well, he did, yeah, he did, he did retribution, retribution as well. Sorry, um, the last one. He's done well, the last still... three. Okay. Oh, okay. I mean, he did Afterlife, Retribution, and this one. It. But the the two that were between Resident Evil and Afterlife were done by Alexander Witt and Russell Mulcahy. We podcast for about half of them. Well, there there are flashes of great stuff in these, and I so the whole thing with Resident Evil, Resident Evil as a title to me, because also Capcom just released the seventh Resident Evil game about a week or so ago. Resident Evil doesn't really mean anything. It is simply – it's almost like an anthology. It's simply – it's a catch-all phrase for rip-offs of other horror stuff. 
the latest Never. Resident Evil game is just uh, uh, Blair Witch Project meets Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Let's see if we can make a game out of it. Before then, they were just zombie things occasionally. That was a lot of what they were doing. Uh, and the same with the Resident Evil movies. Is They don't even have anything to do with the games. They're just catch-all stuff for Paul Anderson to just throw his wife and a bunch of action sequences and maybe some CG in there. Uh and I kind of feel like if you're just going to borrow a bunch of stuff, like at least be enthusiastic about it. Or like I don't mind the fact that 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 payoff was a complete ripoff of RoboCop, but do something with it. Like yeah. the whole idea that you're fired. And thing is, I like there are things in here that I should have liked, that I should have enjoyed. And this idea of the Red Queen as this rogue AI being a rogue because it's abetting the person who is going to destroy the plot. Like I. Right. I, I wanted to like that stuff, and I, I, you know, at the end where there's that bit, like the, the kind of the payoff. Here, here's a great thing: when you make a movie, especially a horror movie or an action movie, you need a good payoff, and this movie could have had a good payoff. I love the bit that at the end, the old real Alice gives the memories to the clone with this idea that you're the better person. I was the actually even wrote the line down: the childhood you never had. Uh, crossed with the woman she could have never become. Right, right. So this idea that she gave her memories to the clone who didn't have the memories because she thought mm-hmm. the clone was a better person. Like, it's almost like a variation on Pinocchio wanting to be a real boy. Right. Like, if the movie had led up to that, if the movie had been aware and played with that more, that's a great payoff. That would have been a great payoff. But instead, it was just something that was thrown at the end that I don't feel they appreciated how potentially cool that was. Yeah, I um, don't think so either. And I didn't know that that's what was coming. And when that found, when I found out like you did at, at the end, I was like, "Oh man, there's so much there," yeah. And there's nothing there. I mean, I kind of even liked the. Um, I kind of wanted to like or uh, that sort of. Uh, I'm looking at the various potential things that I'm going to do to kill him, and then he's going to look at them and see how they didn't work uh, until yeah. uh, until I read Chris Markinson's email where he said that this is just cribbed. Basically, totally ripped off from Sherlock Holmes movies. And then uh, it's yeah. a, that pure, what was that pure rush, adrenaline rush? What was that thing where Joseph Gordon Levitt is a bike man in New York does it? Premium rush. Yeah, he does it. Like, and that, that's a cool concept, and I wish they played with it a little more. Um, but yeah, it's totally familiar, and that's what I'm saying about Resident Evil. Is they just rip off other stuff. Yeah, There's nothing yeah. original. That, their whole, the whole premise of well. One of the one of the foundations of Resident Evil are those stupid laser gates, and that's right out of the Vincent Natale uh, that that Cube movie. Yeah. Um, and but, even before yeah. that, there was I saw that in a movie called Saturn Three way back when, where Harvey Keitel gets chopped up by one of those. Like that. That's kind of the identity of Resident Evil these days. Is hey, look how cool it is this Cube gate, and they just keep falling back to it. Um, you I don't know, Resident Evil. Why it does? Why the computer just doesn't do the grid first every time? Because the thing is, then you wouldn't have all this. Laser foo. Because oh, all, I, all I could think about was Ocean's Twelve. Right, right, right. Exactly. There's another one. Yeah, exactly. Where uh, Vincent Cassell is. is because that's another thing I think I agree with you on, and I just only thought of that when you were saying it, Tom. Is how you could, if you're going to steal from something, then make it better. Then make her do a dance. I mean, if you're going to do that, then do a whole like crazy dance that she has to do, or something, something weird, something absurd, something strange. But then I just think of other movies that have done it better. Well, and even even the original Resident Evil, you know, the original. And yeah. by the way, the premise of this, this idea that we're going back to that that base, because in the first part of Resident Evil, 
which is a movie about sort of a variation on the haunted house where the ghost is the computer locking down the facility and killing everyone. Like that's great. The opening of the first Resident Evil is really cool, and the idea that we're going to go back and revisit that. Um, I would be – like if I would known that was the premise of this, I would have been kind of excited and then all the more disappointed, so I'm glad I didn't know. Uh, but that's – you know, they're, they're going back to the same wells that they've been at before, right. and rather than drawing anything exciting from them, it just really feels like a, a retread. Um, it's supposed you, to be the you know, final chapter. And I, I think it will be given how it yeah. didn't make much money. I mean – she does yeah, conspicuously she, ride off into the sunset for more adventures, but right. uh, I can't. I mean, given it, I, I think they're creatively exhausted at this point. They just don't have anything else to do. Uh, Paul Anderson is doing these these crappy death race movies now. Uh, so that's not trading up, is it? Well, that's no, that's definitely trading down. And he's not even he directed the first one, and since then they've been just these wretched straight to video things uh, that I think he's just producing. I don't think he's otherwise involved with them. Uh, but yeah, I do. I mean, I think he's petering out. I don't know where he's going to go from here. But uh, I, I can't imagine there's many more Resident Evils left in the guy. Man, it really did feel like a scraping the bottom of the barrel deal. Go ahead. I, just, I have to say, I kind of love the way you are imagining what could have happened. Um, mainly because I mean, this is kind of uh, going along with an, another thing that Chris Markinson said, and this is something you and I talked about just before we said save it for the podcast is and he said he remembers going to see the resident evil movie in the theater and having to admit that he really really liked it and i liked that first resident evil movie um i i kind of liked it a lot even seeing it again i think it's got a lot to recommend it um what i like about what you said tom is that you know we're constantly treated to this uh the movie is going to go outside the movie to show us things that we shouldn't be able to see like schematics and whatnot uh, this is this is this is what the the underground of the hive looks like do, 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 mm-hmm. do, 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 do. this is what the city looks like do, 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 do. it would be awesome if i think the movie had gone even beyond that to a third level to say we can't show you in this anymore because technology has broken down so far that movie can't even show you this so you don't know what's going on in the hive you don't know what this looks like even as that chamber of the lasers has all of that crust of carbon on it or whatever that makes it black on the inside uh you can't see that in the same way even the movie can't show you those things so if if the movie had been intelligent enough to go even beyond that uh i or or into another level of of things that the first movie could do, but now we can't do because of the deterioration of technology. That would have been really cool. Um, but there are things about the first movie that I really liked that I don't think that this movie pays off in any way. Yeah, and I just think it's people not caring. I mean, they care about like it. I, I, I'm sort of imagining Paul Anderson just saying, hey, let's have an excuse to have Mila Jovovich doing the stripper dangling from the rope stuff. Uh, uh, how can we do that? Uh, and then they do some contrived setup for it just so he can have the shot of her framed against the sky, twirling around on the rope, shooting people. And then it's like, okay, what thing can we do next? Uh, let's do a big CG siege. Uh, what can we do next? We've got to get a the CG-ge. laser gate in there. CG, yes, Kelly one. Because yeah, that's the that's, sort of thing too, yeah, that I should have – Well, I, I, I wanted to like that. Like I, I, 
as I was watching it, I was like, okay, I'm going to get excited about this any minute because it's yeah. about to be cool. Big battle. Yeah, exactly. And then it's happening. I'm like, okay, in a minute, this is going to be great. I'm going to get so into this. It's going to be a good – okay, I see it's where they're super going. super one-sided too. Like <sighs> no God. surprises. Like Helm's Deep was at least – there were reversals. And well, and even too, like I didn't understand. Like, I, Okay, first of all, I love the idea of weaponizing – uh, zombies like that yeah. that's that's a staple of zombie mythology that's how Killian Murphy resolves uh, 28 days later is he weaponizes the zombie that they've got chained up inside the compound uh, and you know that's like how the biker gang in Dawn of the Dead gets into the mall uh, it's this idea that zombies are this milling force that are just just milling around and if you point them in the right direction they'll just fuck shit up uh, and and that's that's a great idea, and it works with this with what zombie mythology is all about. So I kind of liked the idea that they've got these badass, indestructible, damnation alley RV kind of things with the treads, and they're leading a zombie army around. Uh, I love the idea there, and that I just I, like that should have had really cool stuff with it, and I don't really think it ever did. No. Instead, it became a really stupid thing too about they've got people locked up in the back that they're going to use as bait. So they let the woman loose, and she's running towards the gate, and they're lowering the gate to let her in. And now, why are first of all, why are they lowering the gate? Why is this even working? Like, yeah. why, why does someone just run out there and pick her up? Like, like it's just, it's sort of like he has these ideas and doesn't know how to follow through doesn't with think them. About them. Doesn't think about them, and just is, is just using them as just the the basic premise with no follow through. No creative no world building. development, and no, no world building. Yeah, because I wanted to see, like, if I'd seen a trailer of this, and I watched the trailer afterwards, if I'd seen the trailer of this beforehand, which shows those RVs with the zombies behind them obviously being led along as an army, I would have been like, wow, that is awesome. i got to see this movie. Uh, and it just did nothing with it. The other but thing, it's like the, the first movie, the first Resident Evil movie came out before – it was like one of the first zombie movies. It came out before 28 Days Later. And so zombies were still scary to us. And now it's like Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead are like mom-safe shows. Like, you, <laughs> we're so saturated with zombies. Um, and that's yeah. why – that's in this movie too. I don't even think – it's not even a zombie thing anymore. It's, it's like it has no it, – it's just zombies are one of the many – you know, there's zombies and there's bioweapons, which at this yeah. point – it can be a dragon, or it can be, you know, dogs with vagina heads, as you said, Kelly Wand, or it can just be, you know, a, a dude who has super contact lens powers. Yeah, exactly. Like there's Fast. no, as you said, Kelly Wand, there's no world building, there's no consistent mythology. It's just random stuff that Paul Anderson thinks of, and it's like, okay, let's do this scene, and then that scene, and then the scene after. Yeah. Then he runs out of juice, and it's over. They don't uh, even understand how gasoline works or air works. <laughs> Which I'm okay with, Dingus, because I, I like if he had given us a really cool siege scene, I wouldn't have mind the liberties taken with. And now what, like, because I wonder if when you're pouring gasoline and you light the pouring bit, is that where, is that not what gasoline would do? I don't think it. I don't think it works in that sort of conflagration any more than that claymore that mine. Uh, any more than the Claymore mine would make that kind of a, a cloud. I mean, and Chris okay. Parkinson said this as well. And, and I think that the gasoline pretty much burns out, and you're not going to have the entire horde be taken out. I mean, I just don't think it works that way. And I don't think it would spare, because of the fumes of gasoline, would spare the other uh, good guys that are all around right. it. I mean, I right. think that it would 
it would kill everybody. It's not like pouring hot oil on a bunch of marauders. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, that's I, why I mean, no one uses. Death I don't understand. Maybe this is just a mythology thing that I don't understand about zombies. But everything works based on having fuel or energy. And how do these thousands of zombies that aren't getting fed run for miles upon miles, thousands of miles without ever being fed, and they just keep running? I don't understand that. Why does that keep that, working? Right. That's a fundamental part of zombie mythology, though, Ding. It's at some point you either have to fall back on a supernatural explanation or some half-assed, like, oh, the T-virus. You know, no. the T-virus is shorthand for it to do anything. Uh, but, you know, that's something that zombie mythology isn't really concerned with because zombies represent the infinite resources of, of chaos or the, well, they're inevitability, not alive. the inevitability of death. Like, well, they're not alive. But, but things still require energy to move. I mean, yeah, it's but just. Right. But that like that like horror can't be considered. Same with ghost. Like if a ghost was immaterial and it wasn't connected to the physical world, it would be left behind as the earth like hurtled through space. Oh, a ghost would yeah. not be angry right. So they're, they're, trying to. Yeah, they're, well they're these like horror tropes have to break physics somehow and they, they can't like you can poke holes scientifically through all kinds of horror tropes and zombie mythology dingus doesn't really think about what you're talking about, which is why the ending of 28 Days Later kind of came out of nowhere. It's like, oh, they're going to starve. And you're like, oh, okay, so these zombies actually do starve. Normally, yeah. used to people just ignoring that, but okay, that's the, fair enough. That does make sense. <laughs> like, that's how they wanted to end 28 Days Later. Uh, you can't pull in a ghost. Right, right. You can't shoot a ghost, <laughs> and you can't, right, right. So horror gets to make up its rules in any given instance. And the fact that Danny Boyle and Alex Garland in 28 Days Later wanted to acknowledge, hey, zombies are going to starve to death. They yeah. need fuel. Like, that was kind of cool. Uh, but, yeah, you're, you're right, Ding. It's like if you're thinking about it on that terms, like Romero's movies fall apart. Zombie mythology just isn't concerned. It kind of has to hint at maybe it's supernatural or maybe it's extraterrestrial. Uh, All right. But yeah, I and here I think they just say T virus, and it's supposed to magically address whatever. Hell has to be full, or you have to have gone to Venus in like a probe. Right. Exactly. Well, that's why this this movie made me think of uh, World War Z, which would have been my under. Is this? Oh, Jesus. Is is this just constant piling and running and running and running of these creatures that aren't? They don't have any energy source, but it's just CG that runs and runs and runs and runs. And I did like that idea, though, of this zombie army that's being led along. Uh, it, I don't think it ever pays off. He he leads them down into the pit, and then it just she like drops something on the ground, and everybody <laughs> dies because that's how air works, apparently. <laughs> that would that was ridiculous. That the idea that it's sort of like okay now everybody lie down. Like it almost looked like some group exercise or something. Like okay now everybody lie down. Just just go limp. Uh, it just that was ridiculous. I don't know. Like why didn't they do some cool CG thing or something? I don't know how that was supposed to represent the airborne antidote to the T virus. Yeah. Is zombies just suddenly go limp? Oh, and by the way, that's another thing too. If you're going to sell this idea that the hero has to sacrifice herself to do this. I mean, yeah. if, especially if you're in a movie called The Final Chapter, you're not even going to let us... You're not even going to see that through? And let her Wait, die. Why would she's already been... She's, she's already thanked him for making her human in the other movie. So why not let her die? And you've got a turbine down there. How about throwing the thing through the turbine so at least I have a feeling that this thing has been aerosolized in some way and not just dropped on the ground? <laughs> There's Christ. a... 
there's a Capcom yeah. zombie series called uh, called Dead Rising, and one of the uh, Dead Rising is all about you put a bunch of zombies on screen and you give the player funky weapons and they just chop them all up. Uh, but Dead Rising has in its mythology, which you eventually uncover, is that the virus was uh, I think bees or flies or something spread it around. So one of the weapons you have is a jar with a queen bee in it, and what you do is you just break the jar. And all the zombies in a radius around you just faint and, and fall away and fall away. Like the thing that's supposed to power them just kills them. And I don't know what the rationale How is. How does that work? I, it's just that's one of the weapons is you kill that fly in that jar and then all the zombies around you in a certain area just oh, drop. Oh, you kill them. it. You don't yeah, let yeah. it go. Right, right. Yeah, they lose their zombie power. But and that's what like I thought of. It's like 10,000 zombies. It's like – No, no, because Dingus the game would then be too short. You would just right. find one of those things and then all the zombies. But that's what I thought of is, oh, it's like those queen bees and – Dead Rising. Uh, yeah. 10,000 flies, one zombie. It'd be super short. Uh, uh, how about... Um, yeah, what, I was so excited that Ruby Rose was going to be in this. And, uh, Lord. Well, she's was, she, was she even in it? They threw her in a fan. Yeah, yeah but you could even tell it was her being thrown in the fan. You had to really yeah. look. Yeah. Which one is being thrown in the fan? It's That whole turbine sequence from Soup to Nuts was so ham-handed. You couldn't tell who was going through the turbine the one way, and you couldn't tell what happened once the polarity was reversed or whatever the heck that was. I cannot believe they said that, reversed the polarity. Of yeah, the polarity. Chris, and Chris said that too. He's like, is that a thing? What? Because you have ways you can... To, to, like when on a ceiling fan, depending on how, whether you want it to go one way or the other. I've yeah, never heard on a ceiling fan that declared that referred to as polarity. Uh, <laughs> uh, one thing, so I, you know, it's like noticing a news crawl when you're losing interest in a movie. I love superfluous commands in movies, and there were so many here where they just want the actor to declare something is going to happen. So the superfluous commands in here, like included stuff like reversal polarity on the fan. You know, he could have just hit a switch or whatever, but they have to have an actor, like, declare something is going to happen. So here there are things that are declared like, uh, uh, oh, I want maximum security, defensive measures on full. You know, what does that mean? Just why, why, were, they, why were they not on maximum security? Were they, like, two Yeah, thirds? those are two separate things. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, while you're a click – a full switch. Yeah. On, uh, and then there's eventually, another one. eventually we'll go to lockdown, but let's have maximum security <laughs> first. Uh, and we'll Ian, try polarities on those. At one point, Ian Glenn uh, says, ready the weapon, high explosive rounds, uh, no survivors. No survivors. Uh, like, does he have to specify that? Have they been – I mean, that it's in English. That's kind of good. Oh, that's right, Kelly Wan. You missed some of these. Uh, yeah, I loved him saying no survivors, and, and I, I wish the guys in the Jeep – or the Damnation Alley vehicle would have said, are you sure no survivor? Can we have two? Yeah. I think maybe the idea is because they do have some survivors they use as bait, so maybe oh. he was declined. But I, I don't want to take away the ridiculousness of that, so I hesitate to point that out. But there's another one where it's like a prepare to fire. Like, well, I, of course, okay. Yeah, all right. You already heard your trigger. Now tell your trigger finger to start uh, when when uh, Alice is going to let the people, the survivors, come with her, uh, she says, "Grab some gear. You're going to need it." Like, like, uh, like I, what gear? What? what? That's there could have been a great line for that. Better walking shoes, or should I get like some granola bars or climbing gear? <laughs> what kind of gear? Uh, grab at least six grenades. <laughs> 
Uh, I, I recently watched, I think I might have told you guys about this, but I don't think we were recording. Uh, Mary Van Peebles just did a horrible movie about the USS Indianapolis, the, the ship that delivered the bomb and, and that, that sank. Uh, the on bomb. The uh, and yeah, Robert Shaw has the, the monologue in, in Jaws. Uh, but Nicolas Cage is the captain of the USS Indianapolis, and it introduces us to Nicolas Cage's character while he's on some sort of a cruiser that's being attacked by a Japanese aircraft. And Miravia Peebles just has CG footage of Japanese zeros like diving down at a, at a ship and strafing it and pulling it away. And the ship is just firing its, its uh, AAA weaponry, you know, the, the smaller guns. You've got a big old cannon on some of those that's used to engage other ships. But then you've got a bunch of smaller turrets that are uh, AAA, anti-aircraft weapons. And the anti-aircraft weapons are just firing and firing and firing. And it's this CG sequence, right? But then the movie cuts to Nicolas Cage in the bridge of the ship. And he's sitting there, like, standing upright, looking out the window, going, fire, fire. Like, he's giving them a command to fire. And already they're firing. Like, there's just a little gun shooting at the – there's no, like, big cannon being fired or anything. All the guns are already firing. But it's sort of like you need these superfluous commands. You need to show the actor to demonstrate that he's in command, barking some sort of command. Yeah, it's him doing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's just firing it. You may not see him actually do it, but we did. made him stand in a room and shout. Well, they're not going to shoot unless he's doing that. They're like waiting to see it. Did he say, okay, he said to keep going, go fire, okay. Do we stop? No, no, he said to fire, okay. They should cut to a shot of them looking at each other and shrugging like, oh, this is <laughs> If he hadn't wanted like to show up that day, he could have just said fire at will, and then he wouldn't have to yeah. be there for the rest of the day. Oh, exactly, Dingus. So just come in and say fire at will and then go back to your cabin. Yeah, you don't have to keep Or they them. pick a box on their uh... – they have to spreadsheet and like they get paid. Tom, did you notice the grammar uh, fail at the beginning of the movie? No, I didn't. I love grammar fails, though. What was it? All right, here's here's the quote. The T virus had a myriad of applications. Oh, God, that uh, would hit that one. Uh, I can't believe I missed that. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... This test for how dumb the person is. Like, right. I'm in a myriad, although I've never actually seen it used like this. So. Yeah, if that's the thing, if you don't know how if people who yeah. use myriad without using it correctly, they don't know the word. It's something that they really shouldn't be playing with until yeah. they. It's like it's like playing with a firearm. Make sure you're trained right. before you use it. Don't uh, use. Myriad. You tried to impress me, and I laughed at you. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I say to the gun people too when they're shooting. The gun people. Yeah, the gun. <laughs> I'm an idiot. That's my real point. Uh, how's How's Mila Jovovich holding up as an action heroine? For me? Sure. Anyone. Yeah. I want to tie to her leg a cable and a condom. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees when I'm caught in between. Counting one, two, three, feet apart, not free, getting down with Kelly three, grossly inappropriate. Grossly grossly. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I, my, my over-under were... Mila Jovovich movies with numbers in the titles. And my over was Fifth Element, and my under was Fourth Kind. Uh, my over was uh, Afterlife, the good one, uh, and my under was any Underworld movie because I still think at least these are better than the Underworld movies. You haven't seen all of them, have you? How many of those? Uh, I've seen enough of them. I've seen enough of them that I never want to see another one. That's that. That was not true. And they stopped well. making them. They stopped making it. That was not true until this Resident Evil of the Resident Evil movies. It was the final chapter of both franchises. Well, we'll find out. Yeah. Shut up, Kelly. We should have. Why don't they have like a a, a team up? 
like Alice from Resident Evil and whatever Kate Beckinsale's name name is from Underworld, and they're like uh, they're like buddy action heroines. Why can't they have that? I think her name is Lynn Wiseman in that movie. Mrs. Lynn Wiseman, to you? They should just swap. Not anymore. So wait, who is broken up and who isn't broken up? So. Kate Beckinsale is not with Len Wiseman anymore, correct? I think they're both broken up. I think they're all broken yeah, I think, up with each I think other. They've, yeah. And Mila Jovovich isn't with Paul W.S. Anderson anymore? I don't think so. I don't think oh. so. Oh, I feel bad. On. What? Okay. Why? How much more Adamer could he have gotten? How much more of him should she have gotten? Are you kidding? Exactly. I, I would much rather watch her in anything than watch anything he's directed. That's because true. Because regardless of Kelly's joke, uh, I... I like the way I like what she does in these movies. I like her. I mean, she's she's got an action heroine face and a physicality mm-hmm. to her, and yeah, when somebody knows how to use it correctly, she fits very nicely into these things. But and she yeah, doesn't also. she doesn't seem to have any um, uh, I don't know it's, uh, vanity might be the wrong thing. She doesn't worry about being yeah, naked in any at any time as long as the movie's at the right rating. I mean, she just doesn't care about that. I mean, she seems to care about the character, and I think she's good. I think she's pretty good at these things. She's more convincing to me than Beckinsale. Exactly, Kelly Wand, exactly. Beckinsale's just like a, a pretty face who's been yeah, thrust into these roles. But Mila Jovovich does have a degree of badassness to her, and uh, you can sort of and see that. And she gets hurt in this movie a few times, like – Vin Diesel doesn't even get touched in Triple yeah. X. <laughs> Nobody can let get she gets, Yeah, everyone's trying to kill Mila Jovovich. Like, it's, no one's holding back on her. Like, she gets punched constantly in this. Yeah. And like, yeah. She gets punched in the face, but she comes back. Like, I, it's, uh, I like that. I respect her stamina. Well, Kelly Wand, let's do a three-by-three. Three. What is this week's three-by-three? Three? What have you done to us? Two weeks in the making. Very exciting. Finally, something people want to hear about. Mm-hmm. Is my that's my subtitle. And what is this? It's the three best deathbeds in movies or deathbed scenes. Oh, now you're telling us it can be deathbed scenes. All right. I think I did it before. Okay. Like telepathically. (laughs) Well, uh, Dingus, you're introducing next week's three by three. So start us off. Uh, I'm worried that (laughs) Kelly, I'm worried Dingus might have done this in earnest. What did you do it in? I did. I did literally what you asked me to do. I did three best deathbeds. Okay, I did that too. Of course you did, and that's why you stopped me from saying anything that would have – because I didn't think that's what you were going for, which is why I started to say something when you announced the topic, and you stopped me. It's like using Myriad, right? I want to see if you on your own come up and go, well, he did say deathbeds. All right, well, we'll find out. But Dingus – so so Dingus is the – he's the unknown element here. We don't know what Dingus is. He's yeah, the wild cannon. He's the loose carp. He's the gadfly. Dingus, mm-hmm. what have you done with this topic, and what's your number <laughs> three pick? the triple X. Is the unknown element the prequel to the fifth element or the postquel? Yeah. That's Dingus, the, the, un- the unknown element, is spoiler, is love. <gasps> what? Spoiler two. Yeah. Isn't that what – oh, actually, no, she's the, un- the fifth no, element. No, no, you're right. It's, oh, it's okay. love. It is love. Okay. You think it's her. All right, so um, my number three, I think I'm going to immediately get put in jail for my number three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. I'm very serious about this topic, mm-hmm. all right? Yeah, I think I'm in trouble for this one. All right, so here's a quote from it. Uh, it's okay, it's impressive to see a man feeding off of his emotions. Mm-hmm. So this is from the movie Seven. Um... And the deathbed I'm choosing 
is a is the sloth deathbed. Although it turns out that the actual dude, the child molester slash drug dealer, who's been strapped to the bed for a year, is not actually dead in the bed. He gets taken to the hospital, um, and he's going to die. It's very clear that he's going to die based on how they talk what they talk to the doctor about but that this bed is his as far as i'm concerned his deathbed and i like the actual this actual scene i actually I actually like that bed this it looks like this sad little bed that he's been strapped to and the room has all of these air fresheners that have been hung from the ceiling in order to keep everybody in the surrounding apartments from complaining i would guess um i just like that whole setting and the actual bed itself uh and even though it's not where he technically dies, I think it is the bed that brings him death because he's been strapped there for a year. Um, and uh, so it's seven, the sloth deathbed. All right, Kelly, should he be in jail? Because he was, well, he was why worried. Would he be in jail? Well, he's, the one, you, he's the one that said it. Dingus, so why would you be in jail? Because he doesn't actually die in that bed. I mean, he's not actually dead when when you see the scene. So uh, they think he's dead. John C. McGinley like leans up to him and says, you got what you had. I mean, you, you, uh, you got what was coming to you. And then all of a sudden the, uh, the child molester dude goes, <gasps> and they all freak out. Uh, so it turns out he's still actually alive and they cart him off in an ambulance and he dies in a hospital, presumably. So he doesn't die in that bed, but I still see that as a deathbed. No, that's fine. You're not in jail right. for that. Because you, you're in the deathbed till you die, and then they take you out of it and then put you in something else. So oh, but he a lot of pre Dingus is saying, though, he didn't die in that bed. He didn't actually die there. I just see it as but, the bed that led to his death. But the bed was ready for it. <laughs> yes, the bed was ready for it. And I thought you were going to do, oh, it's a deathbed scene. Like, if the bed's in it, you're probably not going to jail. No, it's it's the actual bed itself. I didn't go for the scene. It's the actual bed. All right. It's, it's just, a, it's just such a sad <laughs> the whole thing. What'd you say? I might not have said scenes. It's uh, if you if you didn't do scenes, that I probably didn't say it. No, I did not do scenes. I went for actual beds. All right. Well, no, then you're fine. All right. You're gonna you, your liberty is very secure right now. All right. Fair enough. My third favorite deathbed is the one that eats Johnny Depp in Nightmare on Elm Street, where he's just oh, like, it's a like great one. It's so gratuitous though. It's like, like it's well, like it swallows him up, and that's cool, and it's because eh, it's Freddy, it's his dream, or whatever. But then it like it's shooting all that blood up at the ceiling. Love it. I love that. And Wait. then his mom walks in too, and it's like the Ew. bed. The bed kills. Yeah. I've never seen that movie. The bed kills him. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, Freddy Krueger kills him, and he, the, the idea is you're not supposed to fall asleep, or you know, Freddy Krueger will kill you in your dreams, and then you'll die in the real world. And Johnny Depp, I think it's his first movie. He's a super young-looking Johnny Depp. He's laying in bed, and he's got he's literally got a TV on his crotch because he's watching TV, uh, and he falls asleep. And so, uh, I guess so. Well, that can yeah, that can lead to sterility. But is that what causes the blood to jet up? Is that the TV dies too? And there's like an electrocution issue? I, don't th I think the blood is just like Freddy showboating. Yeah. But that's what I love about that scene is like – it's like – I think it's his first death even or his first murder. 
and he goes, he's like, all right. And then like the mom comes in and sees it. Like, yeah. is that, was that part of his plan too? Like, I'm going to, I'm going to blow her mind. Not only is it, am I going to kill the son, but I'm going to fuck up her ceiling. Right. Yeah. <laughs> She's going <laughs> to take a long time to get this stuff. Yeah. Take that mom. Yeah. She doesn't have to just wash the sheets. She has to actually clean the ceiling. Yeah. And she, yeah, she has to think about that while she does. Well, the effect that they do is obviously, like I'm, I'm assuming Wes Craven had an upside-down uh, set of the bedroom constructed. But Fred Krueger But he just pours uh, like tons of blood. It's like a hose full of blood, buckets yeah. of it, out of the, the hole in the bed. So it looks like it's shooting up on the ceiling. Uh, it's just way I overdone. I didn't see that coming. No, I, well, I remember being kind of horrified by that. Like, yeah. that's how much blood did he – like, that has to be more than even his blood. Like, there was just blood waiting in the bed like a water right. bed. That's why I'm saying it's just Freddy's showboating is that's not Johnny Depp's blood. That's way more. And, that, and that's a great setup to Freddy's character is, like, when he kills you, he fucks up ceilings. Like, yeah. he's really big. Those <laughs> balls I think, out. I think the only one of those movies I've ever seen was the one was the Dream Warriors one. I think that's the first like Fred Krueger you've seen. Yeah, I wasn't into those the types of movies scary. when I was a, when I was a kid. I mean, that was when I was in high school, and I, it's was, weird. I was totally afraid of those slasher movies. I did not want to go, but a bunch of friends were going, and that was, I think, my senior year. It was, I think, Rennie Harlan. I think it was eighty-seven or eighty-eight. Um, and uh, and I think that that's the only one I went to see because a bunch of as I was hanging out with a bunch of my friends, and they're like, "Hey, let's go see Nightmare on Elm Street." I hate those movies, but I just went along. I think, an awesome I think that might be the only, and I maybe I'm being rash saying this, but that might be really the only Wes Craven movie worth seeing, The First Nightmare on Elm Street. Kelly, Wan, am I missing anything? Because uh, I, I hate his early stuff. Did he make Martin? No, that's wasn't that Romero? George Romero. Yeah. All right. Who made Serpent in the Rainbow? That was Wes Craven. Oh yeah, you know what? That's that's kind of a little gem, isn't it? I do like, yeah, I do like yeah. Serpent in the Rainbow. I don't like the werewolf one. He made a werewolf. I don't like any all and, werewolf. And, I, movies, but, and but Shocker maybe, sucks. Shocker. Why would? Well, yeah, but of course it sucks. All of his stuff sucks, except, especially seriously, his early '70s stuff is just wretched. It's terrible. I don't know why anyone yeah. would watch those. Um, do you like the, the third Scream one? one? Well, that's not. Oh, that is Wes Craven. I, I think of those yeah. Kevin Williamson scripts. Oh, I do like Scream. I guess Dingus has got me there. Okay, there are three Wes Craven movies you should see: Nightmare on Elm Street, Serpent and Rainbow, and Scream. And that's all. And then you're done. Then stop. And stop. Yeah. But didn't he make Vampire in Brooklyn? Uh, that sounds familiar. I've, I've made, oh God, I think so. That does sound right. Yeah. I guess that doesn't. Eddie make, Murphy movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's gonna. He's dating Angela Bassett, and he says, "I want to have you for dinner." Get it? Vampires always say that shit. <laughs> um, yeah. All right, Kelly, one. This was your topic. What do you have for your third favorite deathbed? My theme was that I don't really have a theme. They're all kind of different ideas. So hmm. my number third one, I went for the most comfortable deathbed, and for that, I went with Citizen Kane. But also because I like putting Citizen Kane as number three on lists. So you are doing deathbeds. All right. Yeah. So that's my number three. So what, really which deathbed? The one he dies in, and then it's like the. It, <laughs> I'm in my view of things, which is always the true one. Um, that's it's the bed that made him think Rosebud, because he's been right. lying in it for weeks. So it's as comfortable to him as a sleigh. Spoiler alert. And is and 
Um, and as uh, cuddly as a snow globe. It just seemed like the perfect place to say that in when I saw it. Like, oh, it looks so comfortable. Like, even as a kid. Oh, this movie's great. Oh, God, that deathbed looks so choice. Uh, Dingus' second favorite deathbed. All right, here's a quote from it. They died peacefully. You should be grateful. This is from the movie... Not Wild Bunch. No, 28 Days Later. So this is the deathbed of... Um, oh, is it Jim? Is that his name? Killian uh, Murphy? Killian Murphy's parents. When they go into his... Oh, house, oh right, right. Yeah, and, he, yeah. and uh, you know, Naomi Harris is like, if anybody's alive in there... And he goes, I know, I know. And he goes upstairs, um, and he finds his parents there in bed. Uh, and there's the I just love the way that I, I love the way the scene is shot. I'm not choosing it because of the scene, but I love the way that it's shot. You see this like bottle of wine on the nightstand, and then you see these pills that are next to it, and the mom is holding uh, his picture, and she's she's not dressed like it like an old woman would dress. She, like she's wearing panties. It's it's very strangely done, but it's it's very intimate, uh, and that that particular deathbed um where the back of the picture says that that they had to leave him sleeping and please don't wake up doesn't it say something like please don't wake up exactly yeah um and so then he covers them up that 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 is their final resting place and that's going to be their final resting place there's nothing else he's going to be able to do for them at that point um i just find that extremely touching and uh, it's just a moving and horrifying scene at the same time. Kelly wanted to see him in jail for that one. Why would he be in jail for that? That's the perfect death bed. Just curious if you feel like arbitrarily arresting people. I have the dumbest list so far, and this was my topic. <laughs> That's always a poem. You chose Citizen Kane that can never be dumb. Yeah, Kelly, when you're taking this list way too seriously. Yeah. But I think if I told Orson Welles, hey, Citizen Kane's my number three favorite deathbed, uh, he would just stare at me. <laughs> As opposed to a lot of things I could say. <laughs> we will have no bed before it's time. Yeah, he'd he'd yell at me like he did on the peas commercial. That. <laughs> That's and, great. Yeah. And green Fucking penis. Peas. That's terrible. Yeah. I quit. <laughs> That's your Orson Welles voice. <laughs> That's terrible. Kelly, want my second favorite deathbed is the movie Deathbed. That's my number one. No, it's not. Say the full I bet it's title. Not. I bet it's not. Why? The full, the full title is Deathbed. What? Yep. Isn't it Deathbed, the bed that eats? Nope, that's my number one. My number two is the movie Deathbed, one word. Deathbed, uh, uh, the bed that eats, is uh, – that's two words. But Deathbed – the fuck the two of you are talking about. So this Should is what I thought Kelly Wan was talking about is there's a movie called Deathbed, which I, which I had seen just on, of my, on my own accord – <laughs> Some years ago, this this is over ten years old, uh, and it's it's from uh, Charles Band, is uh, a guy that uh, like Stuart Gordon has worked with him, and Charles Band does all these crappy horror movies. Uh, he's done Stuart Gordon's movies, he's done these movies about like toy soldiers, um, Full Moon Studios, like that's the name of his group. Uh, and Charles Band did he produced, and he and Stuart, Stuart Gordon produced this movie, a movie called Deathbed. Uh, and it's about a young couple who moves to an apartment. It stars everybody's least favorite Sheen. You gonna? You guys know who that is? Emilio uh, Estevez. No, worst Dingus. 
There's a worse Sheen than that. Joe Estevez. Oh, what? Joe Estevez. Is he the John Murray of the you Estevez? You mean Joe Esterhaus? Oh, shoot. Joe Estevez. Wait, Joe, who's that, Dingus? Did I, did That's I the guy who wrote Basic Instincts. No, the guy, the guy, He. I mean, he even looks like Martin. Ah. Oh. You guys don't know who Joe Estevez is? Is that just me? Hold on. No, I don't. I have no well, idea. Joe I think you're making that up. Yeah. Is he the Zeppo of the I mean, he looks just like his brother. Daniel Baldwin. If you guys yeah. like, he looks just like he's a brother, and he's been in all these crappy uh, B movies. I can't believe you guys don't know who Joe Estevez is. But anyway, is he the bashful of the Estevez? He's not that bashful. He's just in crappy movies, and he looks just. I'm assuming they're brothers, and he looks just like uh, Martin. Is Sheen. he the final chapter of the Estevezes? He even sounds like Martin Sheen, but he's the only relatively famous person in Deathbed. This uh, and Stuart Gordon didn't even he didn't write or direct this, but it's a very Stuart Gordon movie in that it's a horror movie that thinks it's being super sexy, and it's not. It's just being clunky uh, and awkward. So what it's about is a young couple moves into an apartment, and Joe Estevez is the guy who sells them the apartment. And uh, in this apartment, there's a locked – I forget if it's like a basement or attic. Uh, there's a locked room, and he's like, ah, this door has been locked forever. I don't know what's back there. And while the woman is working one day, there's like a voice, and so she hears something in the locked room, and she goes in there, and there's a bed. There's an old bed in there. Now, for an old bed, this thing really looks stupid. I mean it looks like – Something it, it really looks tacky, like it's the only thing they could get. It's fairly big, but it's got I don't even know how to describe it. Anyway, it's not vis- visually arresting in any way whatsoever. But supposedly this thing is haunted and it has a backstory. And we flash back in black and white to some guy like murdering a hooker on it. And he's some killer or whatever, and he's killed people on it. Uh, so at any rate, this uh, this young couple who's moved into this place, they're fairly conservative. She's a little bit sexually uptight. But the bed starts possessing her and making her super sexy. And, you know, her and her husband are like having super sexy sex, which is very PG mm. in this movie, by the way. Super uh, sexy sex, I like that. But the super sexy sex starts to involve like choke play because that's mm. how the ghost dude murdered the hooker on the bed. Fortunately, you know, before she gets fully possessed, something, 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 and then she overcomes the possession and they get away from the deathbed. So that's the movie I thought you were talking about, Kelly Wand, what? when you okay. said favorite okay. deathbed. Yeah, I forget the resolution. They, I, like nobody exercises. I think they just shake it off. Like sometimes if a demon's trying to possess yeah. you, if you just shake it off, you know, you're fine. If you're strong, they change the mattress. Uh, that's what shake it off the song is about. Yeah. So that's the movie I thought you were talking about, Kelly Wand. So when I went to Google it to look it up, and it's on YouTube. I couldn't get through the whole thing. Uh, but when I went to watch it, to Google it, I realized, oh, wait a minute. Kelly's talking about the other one that I've never even heard of before, which is, uh. which is based. That's what Stuart Gordon's little company did, they, and that's how they got around any sort of legal complications is they just made it one word. But they, they, they thought, hey, there's this really stupid movie from 77. Let's remake it as a modern super sexy movie. Uh, which is a straight-to-video that nobody saw but me. So when you said this topic, I thought that's what you were talking about. And imagine my surprise to discover, nope, there are two movies called Deathbed. It's a very popular title and franchise. Well, as we will find out when we get to – Kelly Wan, what is your number two? If we know you're number one, you and I share the same number one choices. What is your second favorite Deathbed? We have to make Dingus watch our number one. I tried to. It's on YouTube. Uh, These things are on YouTube, by the way. I'm constantly amazed at how really old, crappy movies that nobody cares about the rights for anymore, 
they're just, the whole movie's on YouTube, and this is true of the Stuart Gordon deathbed and the one that Kelly and I are going to talk about in a minute. That's no, the beauty of the internet. Is yeah. no one is, it, you can totally find obscure shit because no one it, cares about you. It's keeping dreams alive. It really is. Can you find, imagine trying to find deathbed on video, and then in the eighties? Exactly. That's the your response just now is exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> Well, I remember trying to track things down on video. Like I, yeah, you know, that was we all had our, our favorite like video rental places, and video I, knew, I knew a place in Valley Village where I used to live way back when that had super obscure things. Like I, I for the longest time, I was looking about looking for a movie that that Predator was based on called Without Warning about an alien who would throw these little flesh eating frisbees at people, uh, and it has David Caruso in it. And I remember looking for this forever, never being able to find it. Finally finding it at this obscure video place. Like near Burbank. Uh, yeah, we used to have to hunt around and actually drive to stores to look for VHS copies of these things. But now, yeah. thank you, YouTube. Yeah. You'd have to go. Yeah. Can I fast times one more time, please? I just got to pause that one time. You're talking about Odyssey Video, that that big place over on Lancashire? No, it was way – this was some little place. Like it, it was a hole in the wall that just had all like, like – Literally. Hundreds and shelves and shelves of just dusty old – VCR tapes of like crappy bootleg recordings, like third and fourth generation of old TV movies. I mean, seriously, it's the kind of stuff now you just Google it on YouTube and it's there. Stuff like Deathbed. Like if I was wanting to find this 1977 movie that Kelly and I are going to talk about in a minute, I would go to that. I forgot what the name of it was, but I would go to this hole in the wall place and they would probably have a copy of it there that you could read. VHS players are like holes in the wall. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Kelly, Wan, before we get to the original Deathbed, uh, what's your number two Deathbed pick? My number two deathbed pick is the one in 2001 because it's the best happy ending deathbed. And I also like the idea that the aliens read Dave Bowman's mind and astronaut's mind went, okay, wait, you want to die in a bed? Okay, we'll make you one. Hang on. And then they made like this huge black bed to die in or white. One of those two, like right after his dinner. And I thought, that must be the greatest bed ever, because, like, super advanced aliens made that bed. So it's probably the most comfortable death. Wait, you just said you thought Orson Welles was the most comfortable one. Yeah. Well, it's the second most comfortable. I'm assuming the our number one's not the most comfortable. But All right. when I said most earlier, I meant second most. <laughs> okay. So just to clarify. There's a, there's, a, there's a separate word for things that are second most comfortable, by the way. What? More comfortable. Oh, it's comfortabler. <laughs> it's comfortable in myriad ways, but the most comfortable one only a myriad of ways. Yeah. So That's if true. somebody dies like in a space sarcophagus, is that a deathbed? Like John Hurt's crematorium one in Alien, the one's like a little cigarette butt. Doesn't Hal or was kill that people or no? Does I guess Hal doesn't kill people. Mother does. Uh. How kills people? How yeah. kills a bunch of people? How kills a bunch of people in, in their beds? Yeah, that's what Dingus is talking about. I think. Yeah, yeah. 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 Messes up their cryo chambers or whatever. Yeah. But Does then that the guy in the deathbed? Um, uh, yeah, I guess so. But it's not as good as the one that Bowman gets. He gets the best deathbed of the crew because <laughs> he's. It's not a. It's not a robot. It's an alien making it. It's. Mm-hmm. It's actually dueling deathbeds. That movie. Because the monolith is also shaped like a bed. Coincidence? I think not. Well, Dingus, what's your number one pick then for deathbeds? All right, here's a quote from it. That face you make, look I so young, uh, look I so old to young eyes? 
What? Dangus, work <laughs> on the grammar there. Well, yeah, I'm grammar police asking you to redo that line. I thought he was doing an Irish accent, too. It was throwing me. <laughs> that face you make, look I so old to young eyes. Oh, Yoda. Yeah. Is that, is that, did you just talk Yoda? I just talked Yoda, but I didn't do the Yoda voice. He is Irish because he's green. Cause so uh, I was sitting around with Tom trying to play Star Realms for a while and telling him that uh, one of the choices I was going to make for this this is like a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago. Oh, you're um, right. Yeah, Dingus. Oh. I was telling him I was going to choose something from Star Wars, and he was just going he was going bonkers trying to figure out there's no deaths in Star Wars. There's no death beds in Star Wars. Yeah, mean, it's like nobody dies in a bed in Star Wars is what I was thinking. Right. Do you mean uh, Aunt Beru when she's uh, like sitting there as a skeleton? Do you mean uh, do you mean Jabba the Hutt when he's sitting there on his lounge? That's uh, a lounge. That's a death yeah, yeah it's a death couch, I, and so he, I just, I was like, no, you'll, you'll figure it out soon enough, and he just, he just would not get to Yoda. Wait, I honestly don't. Did he die in Empire or uh, Return of the Jedi? Yeah, yeah he dies in Return of the Jedi, and That's he died. I don't in remember because that movie is terrible. He dies in this bed. cramped little bed, uh, and I love that little bed um, on Dagobah. Like, does he leave yeah. Dagobah or he dies there? No, he dies yeah, on he Dagobah. He turns invisible like Obi Wan. Yeah, because Luke comes back, and they have this long scene, and it goes. Yeah, and, finish and, teaching me. Oh, okay, here, good night. And, <laughs> and, and Yoda like turns turns away from him. I mean, part of it is that I do. I have to admit, Kelly Wand, I do love the scene. Uh, I love the way that he's still teaching him. He turns away from him. He doesn't want to talk to him. Luke's asking him, "Is Vader my father or not?" And Yoda's like, oh, "I'm just going to sleep. Leave me alone." Uh, and then he sleep. and then he turns back over, and it's just this weird little. Um, I just love the little. Uh, this I don't know. It's like a little U-shaped, almost hammock-shaped little bed. He's got his little blanket on him that Luke <laughs> tucks over on him. Um, and it's just a. It's just I can just imagine him getting into this little bed. Uh, and I, I just I, I don't know. But he made a dig of it too. He made yeah. that out of dig He probably carved it in or his little hovel. Uh, right. He carved his bed for himself, uh, and it, and it's just this little thing that fits his little body. It's not like a four-poster bed. It's not a conventional-looking bed. It's just this little thing that looks like a wooden hammock, essentially, um, but with a blanket on him. And he's gone into the, his deathbed, and he knows he's this is what he's going. This is what's going to happen because Luke says you can't die, and and Yoda says, "Look, I'm strong with the Force, but I'm not that strong, dude." I mean that's that might be a paraphrase, um, but I I love that little <laughs> that that little bed that that those that he's that he's made. <laughs> yeah, those are his last words. Well, actually, the funny thing is that his last words are I I did not understand them for years because I saw this in a theater and I couldn't see it again. I mean, you can it's not like now yeah. where you can immediately get a DVD. This there is another oh, Skywalker. The way he says it, I I didn't know what he said. I, Skywalk. Sky it's yeah. not even as clear as what you just said. It is really like, sky, uh, and I. Oh, I knew what, what he what was is, saying. What did, I didn't. What is he saying? What is he saying there? There's, what, what's going on? Uh, but I just love that little bed, that little sad. I thought he meant C-3PO though when he said it. <laughs> Wait, what is he saying? He says there is another Skywalker. There is another yeah. Skywalker. Yeah. He says there oh, is yeah. another Skywalker, and you don't know it's Leia then. And, could you just said her smart. name though? Wouldn't that have been less? That's fewer syllables. Yeah. By the way. <laughs> By you don't the have way, to go Leia. the whole last. Name. And yeah. then Luke would have said, "Man, she's super hot," and that would have killed him immediately, probably. But why does Why does Yoda know that Luke and Leia are sisters? 
The Force, she dude. was said in episode three. Yeah, and then episode, yeah, everyone knows except Vader. That's the thing I didn't. That's the thing that made me suspicious of, of Jedi. Is like, wait, Yoda would know, but Vader wouldn't sense that when he has Princess Leia captive in the first Star Wars. Oh, that's movie. right. That's right. Wouldn't he go? Obi-Wan, wait a minute, we're related. Obi Wan's the one who spirits them away because he's so he's obviously told Yoda. Yeah, but Vader, right, but Vader, like he's there interrogating uh, Princess Leia, and he doesn't realize yeah. his daughter. Yeah, I'm with Kelly Wan. Like that makes like if he's sensing, doesn't he sense when Luke is around? Why yeah, does, when he has Princess Leia captured, that right. she's that she's his daughter. Yes. What's the answer to that? Did I just did I just because she whole, doesn't she wait, doesn't know oh, it either. She's blocking it. She's blocking it. He's he's a genius. <laughs> He made a Death Star and a lightsaber. Well, we actually – we know the answer to this. And the answer is Lucas had no idea and all this stuff. Yeah, he's an idiot. Because right. yeah. he has him kiss and stuff, and that – he wouldn't have done that if they were brother and sister. Yeah, or maybe they that. kissed to throw Vader off, and it worked. Mm, yeah, I like that. <laughs> well, you do smell like Luke, so – But that was after – that was after Vader had been, like, interrogating her and hanging out with her. And stuff. Yeah, but you can see the future because of the Force shows you the future sometimes. Oh, also midichlorians. Mm-hmm. Midichlorians. Yep. Yeah. Although it's kind of a cool – touch if he'd known that it was his daughter he just didn't give a shit but then in jedi he's all oh wait luke's thinking of leah uh-huh uh, sister. uh-huh oh you cut off my hand because i was being a dick fuck but if you By put a way. shamrock shake in the fridge for two months it looks like yoda <laughs> who doesn't who didn't see the hand cutting off thing coming in the movie we saw today uh me she has to drive that motorcycle somehow well, I didn't know the hand was going to get cut off to do it. Yeah, she has to. I thought it was going to just cut off a thumb, but yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm dingus. I'm a lot slower than you, if that's your point. Fair enough. I knew it was coming, and I heard him taunting her in German, and I go, oh, he's saying a line that she's going to stab something with. That's why you kept calling him the blonde Nazi, because he's talking German <laughs> in your movie. That made no sense to me, because Ian Glenn, I don't think I was a Nazi at all. He's totally mm-hmm. Mormon. Uh, okay. Bad guys in movies I see dubbed into German always turn into Nazis. <laughs> can, we, okay. can we just but call him dressed? the Blotzi? Oh, uh, like Blanny? Yeah. All right. Anyway, What's moving on. Tom, your number Good one. Death, is, let me guess what it is. It's oh. from uh, Hesher. Is that right? Now, did you watch this, Dingus? Because uh, I told you where it was on YouTube. Did you watch? No, the I did not. I, 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 I ran out of time because I was watching all of the Resident Evil movies. Like a terrible idiot. choice. I think he made the right. I think he made the right choice, Kelly. Wand. What did he miss? Why? Why did you want? Why would you want Dingus to watch this silly thing? Because it eats Kentucky Fried Chicken, and it, there's like a shot of it digesting the chicken and the wine. What's and the name of the movie? Just tell me the name of the movie. Death, 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 death. No, Deathbed the Bed That Eats yeah. is the whole title. Tom Deathbed, Deathbed colon the Bed That Eats. It is a colon. Okay, thank you. To distinguish it from other Deathbed movies. <laughs> this is the one that eats you. So you wanted Dingus to see it because of that? Because actually, I do think that that weird digestive stuff there there is a reason not a reason to watch that, but it did remind me f- unfavorably of something else. <laughs> the Blob. Uh, I like where you're going, but go ahead and explain to Dingus movie? what this is. No, no. Deathbed's a movie from 1977. I think it's the same Hammer movie. The same year, by the way, that Star Wars came out. Yeah. It's not Hammer, Kelly Wand. It is nothing. This guy, George Berry, had made no other movies. He's just some dude in Michigan who's like, I'm going to make a movie. And he makes this. It's the only movie he's ever made. 
He hadn't made one before. He hadn't made one since. The guy just didn't run a bookstore the rest of his life. Recently retired. Uh, and it's not even a California thing. It's just made in Michigan. Oh, like Evil Dead. Is he Michigan? I didn't realize that. Or well, I think of like, I think of Pittsburgh for or somewhere in Pennsylvania for George. Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell are Michigan. Okay. And there's all Michigan jokes. Did but they shoot it there? Like, did they shoot? No, I don't think they. Should. They might have shot the first one there, and then they used a different cabin for the second one. But I might be wrong on that. Now, were they in film school when they made that? Yeah, they were right out of film school. But they made a short called something Woods. And but they were they in film them. school in in Michigan or somewhere in California. Yeah. Okay, Michigan. No, they were in okay. film school in Michigan, and then they showed the short to investors, and then they made Evil Dead, and then it made a lot of money, and they paid back the investors. So it was like a success story. Right. Well, the guy who made uh, – I think his name is George Perry. The guy who made uh, Deathbed had n- no Hollywood connections whatsoever. But it's a great idea, or at least mm-hmm. weird. It's not a great idea. <laughs> Why do you say it's good? Explain the idea. What's great about the idea? I think it's stupid. Well, I like that there's a ghost that's living in the room with the bed and that that's his view. Is like there's a guy who's been a ghost for like 90 years who's crouched in the wall, and he's also the narrator. And he has to watch, like, young kids sneak into this basement where the bed is and, like, have sex on it and then get swallowed up by the bed. Uh, first of all, he's a painting. That's the deal, is that he's a, he's a painting, and this is the perspective through the painting. But he's, he's a dead of- person, too, isn't he? Right. He's like a guy who's imprisoned by the demon in a painting and his, him looking out through the painting, right? His deathbed is a painting, yeah. But I not, you know what? I gotta be honest. I haven't seen the ending, so I'm not quite. Is there? Do they kill the deathbed at the end? Yes, it gets burned up. Oh. Uh, so Dingus deathbed is. Uh, I, I I don't think it has any merit to it. It's a 1977 kind um, of. I wouldn't even say it's a horror film. It's just this trippy, surreal thing, and I, it's the sort of thing that people made in the 60s and 70s when they did a lot of drugs and someone gave them a camera. Yeah. Uh, Golden it, age of film. But it, it's. Uh, to its minor credit, it is divided into four stories called uh, Breakfast, Lunch, Dinner, Dessert. Uh, and each story is a different person who comes into the room where this demon-possessed bed is, and the, the bed literally eats them. And uh, the narrator, who's a guy who's doing a voiceover, is uh, someone who had been imprisoned in a painting that's on the wall in this room. So there are these four stories – uh, the people who tend to get eaten are uh, young women, so that there can be nudity. There's a couple of like scenes where they get undressed and get in the bed, and then it eats them. Uh, and at the very end, the ghost uh, telepathically, uh, telepathically communicates to one of the victims, "Hey, here's this ritual you do to to kill the bed," and it teleports the bed outdoors, and then they set it on fire to represent the bed dying. They shoot it. it teleports yeah. the bed out. Well, if you remember, so the bed is originally in a house, and then yeah. the bed destroys everything in the house except – it destroys the house around it except the room so that now instead of being in the house, it's like in a shed where all the rest of the house is gone. It's just a shed out in the middle of the woods, mm-hmm. uh, and then when they do the ritual, I think it gets – the shed goes away or whatever. It's like out in the – because they uh. couldn't – to shoot this thing, they couldn't burn this bed indoors. Like they didn't have – the means to do that. Yeah, they carted it outside and they set it on fire and they shot the scene of the bed burning up. Um, So please picture Dingus's expression right now. (laughs) Okay, back to what you said. Well, Kelly, I also like, so explain to you, explain what you're talking about, about the the chicken and the wine. Because I think also, I don't know that George Berry was doing these to be funny, but maybe maybe he was, because I don't know if these are comedic touches or if they're just ridiculous. 
It might be Dark Star, but it's hard to say because it's his only movie. I don't think it's Dark Star. Dark Star to go by on John, John Carpenter. We go, oh, what well, that wacky comedian director, John Carpenter. But um, I think okay, go ahead. I, I mean, I get what you're saying. Like both of them have very amateurish quality, but I think there's much more of a sense of voice to Dark Star, where you know that Dan O'Bannon and John Carpenter, you kind of know what they're getting at in their black sense of humor. And I think they're expressing it pretty well on film in Dark Star. I don't know what this guy George Barry was doing. No, but I like the idea that they de- that the bed doesn't just eat the chicken and, and like uncork the wine and open the bottle of wine and then drink the wine and enjoy the wine. Like the bed likes to drink wine and eat chicken together. <laughs> but you see that digestive process too. And like that's the detail that I don't think you'd see in a – Paul Thomas Anderson movie, <laughs> for instance. It really goes into like the wait. So does it eat the? Oh, it does eat the chicken. Oh, it eats the bucket and the chicken. Oh, okay. Like I like those touches. Like he's at least trying to. And it, it just makes me curious about the origins. Like, is the guy behind the painting was that like a painting that happened to be in the room? And they go, hey, this could be our Deus Ex Machina ending. Like, let's put a guy in here. Well, it's. I think they do explain something about it. it's. Uh, it's someone like the the bed is possessed by a demon of some. Uh, some woman who uh, this guy rejected her, so she imprisoned him in the painting, oh. and she became the bed. Like there's something like that in there. So it's a I girl. Was, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so Dingus, the first couple who wanders in, who gets eaten, it's a dude who's bringing a girl in there to seduce her, and he's brought a picnic lunch with him. So he's got a bottle of wine and a bucket of like Kentucky Fried Chicken or whatever on the bed behind them while they're making out. And the bed eats the chicken and drinks the wine. And the guy turns around. He's like, hey, I brought chicken. Hey, where's the chicken? Like, they, you know, it goes missing. Yeah. And what George Berry does to show things being eaten is he'll have – he's got the bed set up where you can have – like, obviously, there's a, a hole underneath it. And he can pull things through the hole, through the covers or whatever. But when he pulls something down into the bed, he cuts to a shot uh, of an aquarium filled with like yellow liquid and he's pumping bubbles up through the liquid and he'll drop the chicken leg into the liquid and the bubbles are coming around it. His idea being, of course, that these are digestive juices. Um, in the mattress. So you're seeing it's a mattress point of view. Right. So. Yeah. It's like the idea is that it's in the mattress and he'll even pump foam up onto the mattress to represent the juices bubbling over or whatever. Uh, and eventually when people get killed, the person actually goes down in the tank, and he has the person rolling around the tank, and is having blood come out of him or whatever. Uh, it doesn't shit. Does yeah? I was going to ask. Does the bed poop? No. We do not know. We don't know, Kevin. We don't know that part of the digestive process. We know that the bed eats. We don't know if it follows up with this with the normal digestive process. It'd be a cool crossover with Human Centipede, where they like put a bed in the middle to see if it stops there. Yeah, like a bunk bed. Yeah. Uh, What it reminded me of, these shots of things being digested, are what Jonathan Glazer did in Under the Skin, is Mm -hmm. showing people just suspended in this kind of black, invisible liquid, uh, representing them, I guess, being swallowed up or digested. Well, it did make me think of it, because I'd never seen this before, Kelly Wand, until I realized, oh, this is the one Kelly was talking about. Uh, But it did make me think, when he's showing those people who've been swallowed, and they're hanging there in that liquid, it did make me think of Jonathan Glazer showing us the fate of the men who are seduced by uh, Scarlett Johansson's character. But maybe he watched Deathbed and went, I'm going to do this, but with dicks. Hmm. With dudes, right. I, I honestly would not, I mean... I would be surprised, but that, that's the sort of thing that I could see 
someone doing is looking at this and thinking, oh, that's that's kind of a cool way to represent someone right. in digestive juice. Let's, I mean, that's obviously kind of what he was going for under the skin. I don't know this if he actually saw this, but yeah. No, but this is a good reason to watch bad movies because you never know where your good idea is going to come from. Like if it turned out Jonathan Glazer had seen this and then right. put that into Under the Skin. Well, I that's more uh, horrifying and weird in the book. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Did you write the book, Kelly Wand? <laughs> you... Oh, no. Just thanked him as if you wrote that. How is it just different in the book? Just getting compliments. <laughs> in Deathbed the Book, how does it happen? I guess? Well, in Deathbed the Book, the, the book is actually written from the point of view of Deathbed. Um, so it's very, very weird because it's constantly falling asleep and things get like in that way that you sleep swap when you're falling asleep and so words are turned around. It doesn't really make much sense. Hmm. <laughs> well, that's my number one. No, it's my number one. You have to pick a different one. I've displaced. No. All right, I guess we're going to have maybe to Maybe Dingus, maybe it's Dingus's number one. He's just been trolling us for 10 minutes. Like, I did tell him because I knew what you're talking about. I did tell him, Dingus, you're going to, this is why Kelly Wan picked this. You're probably going to have to watch this. And Dingus, he didn't miss anything by not watching it. Because right. he ran out of time, he says. So I do believe Kelly Wan in watching bad movies because I do think that from bad movies, you can see not only how to do things, but maybe how not to do things. Right. I, I find it, and I don't just say this as a rationalization because I watch a lot of bad movies, but I do find it uh, as someone who's fascinated by filmmaking, I do find it instructive to watch crappy movies. Yeah, um, I agree. But I think some crappy movies are just really outdated and – like this George Berry, there's a reason he didn't go on to make any other movies. I don't really think he had much by way of talent. I, oh, here's what it reminded me of. Um, I don't know where Wes Craven made his first few movies, like um, Last House on the Left and uh, – oh, shoot. What was that horrible Virgin Spring remake? Maybe it was Last House on the Left. Uh, but Wes Craven reminds me of uh, – watching Deathbed, that's the kind of thing that Wes Craven was doing when he made his first few movies. But for yeah. – and even, to, even Toby Hooper, by the way. Texas Chainsaw exactly. Massacre. Mm, like Bad does, Taste? I think of more Heavenly Creatures. Like Heavenly Creatures, you see, oh, this guy's really a good filmmaker. He knows what he's doing. Uh, yeah, Bad Taste is weird, though. But um, but, but the, these early 70s movies, like Wes Craven, his early movies, I don't think are much different from Deathbed. You don't like, like Cronenberg, and I like those. Like those are artful deathbeds. I, I absolutely agree, Kelly. I, I think of the same thing about some of Cronenberg's weird early stuff that just seems creepy and oogie to me. Uh, Cronenberg became very good, and Wes Craven did, of course, go on to eventually do Serpent in the Rainbow and some things that I liked. Um, but but this George Berry guy, and and I don't think that watching early Cronenberg, I don't think there's much value to it. I don't think there's oh, much value to, to Craven's early movies. What's Cronenberg's first movie, by the way? Uh, his first movie, which I'm curious if you've seen, is a student film called Crimes of the Future. Oh, and good lord, no. It's voiceover, and it's really weird. There's, like, feet and foam and, like, a future society in it. And it's, it's like, it costs, like, a tenth of what THX 1138 costs, probably. Was that a student? That wasn't a student movie, was it? George Lucas? No, like, oh. Yeah. Well, no. It, his first movie is probably by the standards of what we're talking about. Uh, it, was Phantom, it was Phantom Menace. Or Rabbit. Yeah, Phantom Menace. Oh, oh Rabbit is Cronenberg's first movie? The thing with Marilyn Chambers? So. Maybe. It's that, that or they came from within because they're like right next to each other. Well, they came from within really does look like this. It's that but I love that movie and you hate it. Now, why do you love it? I love it. I love the concept. I love the acting in it. I love the pacing. 
I love the idea of the aliens, and I love how there's a lot of like old and middle aged people in it. Like, wait a minute, hold on, that might be screwing. That, that's not the rape slug one, or that is the rape slug. It one? Is the rape slug one? Oh, oh, okay, right, right. But they're really like. Like in teen slasher movies, it was just like hot chicks and dumbasses, like young fools getting killed. But in in they came from within. It's like older actors who look really kind of distinguished or weird in like a Canadian way, and they're yeah. just like they have scenes. With them. It's just I don't know. There's just lots of long cutaways of like things gibbering. <laughs> but I would say just in John Barry's defense, like there is a certain George Barry. George Barry. George Barry. Thank uh-huh. you. Yeah, John Barry's a composer. I think there's a cachet to having as your only cinematic credit, Deathbed the Bed that Eats. Like there is a certain like a Confederacy of Dunces glory to Oh good oh Kelly Wan, don't a- there. Here's why I would disagree. I think the only reason that Deathbed has a cult following is because people like Patton Oswald uh, have, have dug it up and ridiculed it. And basically it is all me. And you, exactly. Like, and I don't think there's any reason – it's like a Plant 9 from Outer Space thing. I don't think there's any reason to glorify how crappy these things are because I don't think mm-hmm. there's any vision or creativity behind them. The reason that they're well-known is not because they're bad but because people made fun of them for being bad. Partly, but uh-huh. – Go ahead. Well, Plant 9 wasn't really like a very original idea for a movie, but there's only one movie about a bed that eats you. <laughs> but there's two. Well, okay, you're right. You know what? Well, the, yeah, it's a spin-off. It's a rewrite. Yeah, doesn't the Nightmare on Elm Street bed kind of eat uh, Johnny Depp? That's not the bed. Fred Krueger could have used anything for that. All right, fair point. It could have been any sort of furniture. Yeah, that's a ceiling death anyway. <laughs> and and this bed at least does look like the the bed in the Stuart Gordon – and I shouldn't call it a Stuart Gordon movie because it's not. But the bed in the Full Moon Productions, we'll call it the Charles Band because he's the main guy behind these. The bed in the Charles Band remake is just terrible that – I couldn't believe that this is all they could get, but the one that George Berry got, at least that thing looked kind of cool. Like and also, he he made it. Like, he, David Lynch, eraser-headed that thing. Like, he went, he didn't film half of it and go, wait, I'm making a movie about a bed that eats chicken? What the fuck's wrong with me? Like, he just kept going, and it's like, it's done, and it's on YouTube, and you can watch it for free. Like, that's something. I guess part of it is I don't want you wasting Dingus's time with this crap. There's so many other things <laughs> Dingus should watch. <laughs> well, I haven't. He's probably never. Gonna, I think we've spent more time talking about it than the movie is in its running time. But I, I think we've sold Dingus on it. I think by now. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, our only hope was for us to have tricked him into watching it and to have enjoyed his incredulous reaction. Mm-hmm. And now that now yeah. that the cat's out of the bag, I don't think we can get that natural reaction. So I'm a little sad because I would have wanted him to see at least seven minutes of it just to watch him watch it. <laughs> but you're not. You're in Germany. How are you going to watch him watch it? <laughs> well, I know. I didn't. It was a. It was a feeble hope. But I thought That's maybe it. I'll wake up screaming next to Dingus just as it starts. <laughs> I love a feeble hope is another Star Wars title. Yeah, that's Episode Nine. Kelly, one. What have the listeners? What have you done to them? Did they come up with any deathbeds? I feel bad for anyone who heard this topic and didn't realize that you were just wanting to make a joke about this 1977 movie. Uh, there's it. It's a good turnout for okay. two weeks. Uh, it's sausage. Well, to be fair, actually, like if you think of it as death scenes, which I'm pretty sure we've done before. Like I, I imagine a lot of people are going to think of this as death scenes. There are some it's great awesome. death scenes that people yeah. and a lot of people have to die in a bed. So yeah. I see a lot of subject headers here that say scenes too. So, yeah. um, you know, but what are you going to do? Hopefully, it's, there's some anime uh, in there. Oh please, oh please. See, uh, there, no, no, no. It looks like all whitey. 
<laughs> Paul Weimer writes, Hi, guys. I know you aren't dying to hear a pun, but perhaps you will not lie down for my choices for the topic. Oh, Paul, Paul could just stop there, and I would be happy with what he's done. <laughs> uh, no, I like what he's using for slumber. Said a lumber. Mm, Paul, Paul had already. Yeah, don't don't try to follow what he's done, Kelly Wand. This was a one of my runners up. Number three. That's me saying that. Number three. While Tom Cruise often relies on his charm and charisma than actual acting, the deathbed scene between Frank and Earl in Magnolia proves that yes, indeed, he has real acting chops underlying those gifts. And Frank. Wait, Frank and Earl. Wow. Yeah. Who's Earl? I know that. Jason Robards. His name is Earl. Guess so. Wow. God, you should never name a character in a movie Earl. That's just not a good yeah, idea. That's, 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 that's a sitcom name. Well, it's a, so it's an orangutan's name from uh, Every Which Way But Loose, isn't it? No, it's Clyde. No, Clyde. Clyde. You shouldn't name a character Clyde either, by the way. Yeah. Maybe that's why Julianne Moore is so like... My I'm name is sick. Earl is the actual name of her. Well, maybe it's a Dixie Chick song I'm thinking of. Hmm. Number two, 2001 Space Odyssey's Inside the Monolith sequence is still trippy decades after it was filmed. The final death of David Bowman, though, brings together the entire movie, reaching for the monolith, ready for this transformation into something wonderful. Thing is, who did we talk to recently who just saw 2001 for the first time? Was that our friend uh, Troy? Maybe, yeah. How old was he? I saw him when I was seven. I was like, what? I forget who that was. But yeah, we, we recently were talking to a friend of ours who'd seen 2001 for the first time, which is fascinating to hear. Uh I forget Were they was. always on the moon? That's what I thought when I was seven. When I, I was seven, yeah. When I saw Star Wars the first time, I actually thought Luke and Han were the same dude for half the movie because <laughs> they weren't in the same shot very often. Wow. And I go, oh, it's just, yeah, I know. I was very young. I was my brain hadn't formed yet. <laughs> they looked enough similar to me where I go, oh, it's that one guy who sometimes likes Princess Lee and sometimes he's mean to her. <laughs> You fight club it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> That's weird. Now he's arguing with himself about whether a guy like him. <laughs> Interesting. You really switched clothes fast. Number one for Paul Weaver. I really do like the deathbed scene deep within the central dream sequence of Inception, where Killian Murphy's Robert Fisher reconciles oh. with his father, Maurice, Pete Pothelswaite. It's a sequence we've been building up to since before the nested dreams start. It feels like a real deathbed reconciliation, even given that it's entirely artificial and arranged by Cobb's team. The paper pinwheel in the dream safe moved me. Best regards, Paul Weimer. I like hearing about Inception a lot more than I ever liked watching. I know that's a beautifully written paragraph that makes me want to watch yeah. Inception. I think that's, the second I started watching, I go, "Wait, Weimer, what did you just do to me?" I really, I like, I like, I like that you said that it's beautifully written because I can see the, I can see the scene. Um, yeah. But I, but I love the production design, and I think it's a good-looking deathbed because it's. It's designed within a design. Really did Ellen like Page that. make it? Is it is that part of what Ellen Page did? Was that her design? Did no. she make it fold in on itself, like the bed in uh, O.J. Simpson? Kelly, one, I was at, I was asking for serious because doesn't Ellen Page like design all the stuff in the dreams? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh. Then why does she even go in there though? They don't need her for anything. They do need she her. Can't fight. They do. Hmm. All right. Chris Braley writes. <laughs> I, you don't want to ask me questions about Inception, by the way. I saw it once in the theaters, didn't care for it, and probably couldn't tell you, you know, ten things about it without getting half of them wrong. When people talk about it, I usually zone out. I love that movie. What? What were you thinking? Talking about? 
<laughs> Chris Braley writes, number one, Forrest Gump. Ew. <laughs> Mama Gump's deathbed scene was particularly moving as Forrest asked her about death and destiny. Preceded by the comical way Forrest... This is almost like anime. Preceded by the comical way Forrest reacted to Lieutenant Dan telling him that his mother was ill. They're eating lunch on the shrimp boat, and suddenly Forrest stood upright, jumped in the water, and headed home to be with her. Yeah. All right. Boy, your mama sure does care about your education. Shrimp and shrimp, mama and shrimp. Number two, Star Trek II. I don't know what that was. Spock's destiny was also very moving. It seemed like the first time... Wait a minute. It's not a deathbed. Damn it. I need to be more precise. It seemed like the first time we saw William Shatner really acting. The follow-up funeral scene where Captain Kirk begins to break before Scotty plays a haunting bagpipe version of the Christian hymn Amazing Grace was a moment that stuck with me for a very long time. Yeah, Chris Bailey should, should bring that up in our favorite funeral 3x3. Three three. Yeah, our favorite coffins. Yeah. Favorite renditions I mean, of Christian hymns. This is what I kind of expected people to do, though, including you guys, was like, oh yeah, a scene where someone's dying. That's what he means by deathbed. I didn't do that, Kelly. Are you proud of me? Yeah, but I get where you, you would assume that it, that's what that could mean. I don't know. I hate to see people in jail without a good reason. <laughs> Number three, Return of the Jedi. Yoda's death just seemed like the natural procession in these films. Interestingly, there's a deleted sequence in the scene where Yoda redeems Ben Kenobi by admitting that he prevented Kenobi from revealing that Darth Vader was Luke's father. Really? It's interesting. Because huh. Kenobi, wait, because Obi-Wan Kenobi lied to him. And that the idea is that yeah. George Lucas wanted to explain that he lied because Yoda told told him to lie? Since George Lucas is dumb, he threw Ben Kenobi under the bus. Okay. You, know? <laughs> you fucking liar. Why didn't you say in the first movie? Then he made him an even bigger liar in the first three episodes, in the prequels. It's like, see, seduced by the dark side, by Natalie Portman. Fan and a cynic, Chris Brawley. Oh, I said Chris Braley. Sorry about that, dude. Embarrassed. Arthur Jovan and Jelly writes, Number three, Return of the Jedi. Yoda passes away at his very small bed, but not before confirming to Luke that Vader's his father. <laughs> Which takes up valuable uh, Leah time. Number two, Inception. I love that very small bed. It's just a, such a cute little bed. I, I like it when he says, Go to forever sleep. He just sounds kind of like... He's really tired and can't take another second of it. it really, yeah. He's like, I, I like that he watches. Would just Jesus. let me go to sleep. Yeah, Jesus, you came back. You got your hand cut off. You're done. Good work. Great. So what I was trying to, I was trying to get you to go the whole time when I said, "Don't go." What? Uh, what race is Yoda? He's like, a gungan. What is he he's called? Like a, he's not he's a, like a dwarf gungan. What is he called? He's a human. He just after 900 years. Ew. That's what you look is like. Is that true? Is that true? No. That's not true. He's, a, he's a Yadarian. Is that true? No. None of these things are true. He's the last of his kind. Oh, I, does he say that? No. No. He doesn't. Oh. He says Luke's going to be the last Jedi. In the, in the expanded universe, are there other Yoda creatures? That's what I'm wondering. Is is he just like there's? Where is he from? A planet full of Yodas, and we just don't don't see any of the other ones. Like next door, they're on the next moon over from the Ewoks. They could yeah, be. Yeah, because they're tiny, like Jawas. They're kind of like, and... like furless Ewoks. He has 50 dwarf races. 
pictures. I, do, I really do like Delphons. that moment where Luke's like, oh, I am a Jedi. And Yoda then turns back over and he's like, no, you're not. You still have some more things to do. He didn't, though. Yeah, that was like, a lie. You still, you still have to face Vader. You have to face him. Oh, that he already did that. Uh, why on the why doesn't Yoda have any droids? Uh, you mean why does it like is because <laughs> he left in a hurry? Because he hates droids because they're trying to steal his food all the time. Like give me that, give me yeah. that. Do, 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 do. Yeah, he's he trying to steal some. his food because R two is picking he around at his food. You mean? Oh, well, no, because he takes well, like Luke's weird, uh, you know, Slim Jim. You're making and, a mess. Yeah. Remember, Luke's all white. And R two is trying to take the Slim Jim from Yoda, and Yoda's like, no, "Give me that back." I just feel like he's alone in Dagobah, like he, and he's a little tiny thing with stubby limbs. He could probably, like, if he had a droid to help him, which seems like a common thing in the Star Wars universe, like his life would be a lot easier. Well, we just never see Mrs. Yoda. Right. Well, I assume the monster in the swamp where he washes his sheets is, uh, has got something. And also there's the cave. You know what I mean? Oh, good lord. Number two, Inception. I remember Pauline Kale complained that in Jedi he was lit so he looked yellow and that annoyed her. <laughs> and then I watched and I went, yeah, she's right. He's yellow. <laughs> Number two, Inception. Pete Pothelswaite's deathbed in the safe in the snowy mountain portion of Killian Murphy's dream. The room contains a second safe that Murphy must also open. Pothelswaite's deathbed. Pothelswaite. You were doing so well, Kelly. I was very proud of you. I didn't want to say anything because you were on a run with the pronunciation of his last name. I was very proud of you. Pothelswaite. Well, he misspelled it, too. He spelled it differently the second time to mess with me. Pothel. Postlethwaite's deathbed is the emotional highlight of the scene. Murphy has one last chance to talk to a dream version of his father before the dream collapses. I'm disappointed that you tried. Uh, here's one. Number one, the fountain. <laughs> While lying oh, in the Oh, man, no, that's wow. a great one. Uh, yeah. Dadgone, I'm going to change mine from that stupid 1977 movie. My number one pick, Kelly Wan, is the fountain. It's uh, Rachel Ward's bed that appears in the space globe. Rachel Weiss, fool. Rachel Weiss, dead comet. Oh, I can't Rachel believe I did that. Ward. I was thinking of No Escape. What was that James Woods, Jeff Bridges thing? Where they race the sports cars on the mountain? Uh, really? Really? Uh, one can oh, against all odds. Against all odds. It's yeah. like having – not being able to escape is like doing something against all odds. That's what I was thinking of. He's Rachel against Ward. all odds. What happened to Rachel Ward, by the way? She's – you know, what are you going right. to do? Is she like Sean Younging it around these days? I think she was. I saw her as a mom in something, and I got oh. sad. And I Why did you get sad? Well, just because she was so banging in the uh, the Sharky's machine and um, <gasps> oh, and Phil Collins videos. Yeah, and uh, that movie where Richard E. Grant plays a pimple on his own sh- shoulder. Oh, how to get ahead in advertising? Yeah, how to get ahead. In Wait, you cut off Arthur G.'s awesome pick of the fountain. I'm sorry. I want to hear I'm this. sorry. Number one, the fountain. While lying in bed, she eventually dies in. Rachel Weiss talks to Hugh Jackman about a Mayan guide from a trip she took and what he told her about his father's death. This is when Weiss first explains the death is the road to awe line that we heard at the beginning of the movie, and it's an incredible scene. Weiss does not die in this scene. She dies in the next hospital scene, but she's still in the same bed, so I hope this counts as a deathbed scene. 
But there's a great bit when he's like Tommy in the future in his weird space globe, and at one point he says something to her, and he's having a flashback, and her little bed, like her hospital bed, is there in the space globe with him. Right. That's what I thought Arthur was going to pick. Just like Rosebud. Kind of, yeah, Kelly Wand. No. No, doesn't Rosebud have a snow globe thing going on? Yeah. yeah. Of course. And so, yeah. Scott's in it with Krampus. No, Kelly Wand. <laughs> and John Hamm. <laughs> Robert Perry Cruis writes, Hey, gents, finally caught up with the show to get in a 3 by 3 and since Tom stole my pick of Deathbed, the bed that eats, I went with some runner up. <laughs> Wait a minute. I didn't say that, though. I just brought it up and you shushed me. I didn't even get the words out. This is the guy writing it. He said it. Right. How does he know? Like, Because when I started to talk about the Deathbed movie... When you announced the topic, you shushed me. He knew. Okay, I guess I guess there's not much I could have been bringing up. Yeah. But it's weird he didn't say Tom and Kelly. Because he goes, since Tom stole my pick of Deathbed, I went with some runner-ups. I guess he knew I was going to – because I was yeah, going to say something, he knew what he I was He knows Sardamas did. Yeah. But to be fair, Robert Perry Cruz, you were wrong because I wasn't bringing up Deathbed, the dead, the bed that eats. I was bringing up the 2002 the Charles Band one. Yeah, the remake that I didn't realize was a remake. So Robert Perry Cruz? Yeah. Robert Perry Cruz? Wrong. Oh, sad. <laughs> no anime yet. I think I found the loophole. Number three, Yoda from Return of the Jedi. Ugh. <laughs> I was a little kid when I watched this Muppet death scene. Seeing Yoda curled up in his little... That's true, it's the first Muppet that dies. Muppet, it? really? Don't call it a Muppet. Why? Don't call it a Muppet as a way to honor him. Don't call that inanimate object a Muppet. Fuck. Seeing Yoda curled up in his little swamp bed, strangling out as there is another line before vanishing had me weepy. I cry less now as an adult. Number two, Charles Foster Kane from Citizen Kane. Hmm. Another scene I saw as a child which left an impression. The nurse covering his body herself covered in shadow, the strange fisheye, snow globe, camera angles, the close-up on Kane's lips for his dying word. Totally would have kept me watching the rest of this grandpa movie if my uncle hadn't spoiled the ending. <laughs> He's ghost. <laughs> That'd be funny if it's an uncle who is, gets confused by which movies, which twist. <laughs> Two timelines, and he says it for the wrong movie. I so vividly recall my cousins when I was a kid telling me about a movie. Uh, they're like, "Yeah, in this movie, there's a monster, and it has a mouth inside of a mouth." And I was like, "What?" Uh, uh, they're like, "Yeah, in this movie, this monster it comes out of a guy's stomach." Yeah. I was like, what? Really? <laughs> it was like, freaked me out. And they were both describing things that were actually an alien. Like, they, these were both things in Alien that. I, mean, I was like, how can a monster have a mouth inside of a mouth? That's crazy. And so then it's of, the dumb friend, and he thinks he's talking about who killed the great chefs in Europe. That was like, what? Roger Ebert's major problem with the movies that, that makes no biological sense. Why would that the even happen? The mouth inside them. Yeah. Uh, I, like, couldn't the idea be like a giraffe has to reach up for leaves? Like, maybe the alien needs that to reach out for its meat, like just in front of it. I'm sure we can think of a lot of reasons why it exists. It's I think awesome. it's just a design choice. Uh, but, but Ebert, it, didn't like but, it. but Ebert was just like, you know, why does that happen? Why does that? Why? Why would any creature evolve in that way? Yeah. You know, I hate to say this because he's dead, and I certainly admire what he's done for criticism, but I always thought Ebert was kind of a tool. I mean, I don't – I never – I don't know. You know I what? totally he's a good writer. I, lo- I loved his writing. I absolutely he's a good writer, but I, 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 never, I never thought he had as much – well, 
I didn't really think he has the, the degree of insight into movies that a guy of his it's caliber so should have had. Well, I remember he was you. I remember your the major thing you said about him was about Fight Club because I think that he just totally didn't get Fight Club. And well, they, yeah, he had a lot of grief, and I've heard people justify that. But a lot of times, I do readers' reviews, and I was like, "Dude, really? Like that's your complaint? That's what you're finding to, to pick on? Or really, you like the movie because of that? Or I don't know. You know, it's just I'm a I'm a yeah. I don't like his analysis. I do like his writing. Yeah, Pauline Kael's yeah, uh, Janet Maslin. Like I, I respect. Yeah, I get. You know, he's I guess just. This is going to sound stupid, but maybe he's like too middle brow for me. Hmm. Yeah, there's some good ones, though. The Village is pretty funny. Jaws, yeah, for, the, Jaws for the Revenge is my favorite review of all time. Yeah. Reading it. I mean, it's of all the, time, I think it's mine. All right, well, not of all time, but it's the one it's, that made me cry when I read it. It's just so funny. I just uh, loved reading it. I, love, I, I mean, I really do love his writing. The thing for Alien for me is it's a baby when it comes out of John Hurt, and the next time you see it, it's 10 feet tall and it eats Harry Dean Stanton. And it's like, what did it eat between those two things? Well, it's kind of like Dingus's thing, too, about the energy in yeah, a zombie. Yeah. Like, where did it get the, the biomass to grow that? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah there's, there's no answer for that. It just, it just does. It's magic. It's it's Kelly One, it's because hell is full. <laughs> oh, and the Venus probe. <laughs> right. There were Number more. There, there were many more cats than Jonesy, apparently. Oh, Dingus! Oh, I'm sorry. That was bad. Go ahead, uh, it doesn't Go ahead, even Kelly. care about the cat. I know that the cat doesn't care about it either. I mean, the cat's yeah. like, I don't like you, but they don't like. They're not that antagonistic <laughs> towards each other. They just kind of hang out. They're both like, yeah, you're an animal. I'm an animal. Whatever. And like there's the theory that Jonesy's get has a face hugger thing in him. And that's why it leaves him alive. But then right. that means it puts the alien puts the thing back in the carrier, puts the cat back in. Yeah, there's no face hugger in Jonesy. That's yeah, no. Yeah. That's, that's an aliens. That's, yeah. I, that's I Lucas' love your, level of retconning. I love your cat. Did she give Jonesy to an aliens? There is a thing like when it's eating Harry Dean Stanton, doesn't Jonesy do a sort of a cat hiss? Yeah, it does. Yeah. But yeah. and I like that. I liked that you made that noise, Tom. Yeah, well, I'm good at cat noises. Yeah. Then it's then it watches. There's a shot of the cat just watching. The alien eat Harry Dean Stanton for 30 seconds. And well, and it's, looks, it's, yeah. it's a very Blade Runner shot, too. It's like what yeah. Ridley Scott does with the owl in Blade Runner. Like, it's like Ridley Scott loves how reflective animals' eyes are. Yeah. yeah. But its expression's kind of like, no, that's something I haven't seen. Before. <laughs> <laughs> huh. It's about as impressed as you'll see a cat being by something. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah you tear the throat out. Wait, two mouths? Whoa, that's a good idea. Like that. That's a really great verb because you don't see cats being impressed by things very many times. Yeah. <laughs> Robert Perry Cruz's number one is Caleb from the Witch. From the what? The Witch. Oh, the witch. He's not a bed. He's on the. It's on the floor, isn't it? Yeah. Well, he's oh. in a bed on the floor. Oh, I that's right. They do have like a little cot. Not, not a cot, but a mattress. Like or bedding, something? yeah. He's not on the floor like on the wood. He has like a sheet under I guess him. so, because they put him down because he's sick. So, okay, fair enough. Put him down. Oh, I see what you mean. <laughs> the only scene in 20 years that had me looking away from the screen. There are many other creepy close-ups of faces and death, but few that can match the intensity of this one. Looking forward yeah. to the February fundraiser. Give the kids uh, give the kids some credit. What's his name? Who can call out the name of Caleb's actor? Aza Butterfields. Nope. Dingus like, uh, Hunter. Uh, Anya Taylor, Joyce Smith, uh, Moretz, Marcy Marmarine. 
He's got a great last name. Isn't his name Harvey Scrimshaw? Oh, it's Scrimshaw. Very good. Yeah, good job, Tom. Uh, uh, that, that was probably my favorite kid performance from last year, I think. I should know that because I just uh, – a friend of ours just brought beers over that are called Scrimshaw beers. Uh, oh, is that why I'm – did I get it? Oh, shoot. No, I, think, feel like I, I think you're blood. right. I think you're totally right. Is that yeah, what I'm drinking? Is, it is oh, Chris yeah. Webb, right? Oh, go ahead. No, I just yeah. wanted to write great pick for Robert Perry Cruz, that, that witch pick. That's very nice, but mm-hmm. not much of a not bed. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean it's, it's a 1600s bed. Yeah, they had what they had. So, <laughs> Chris Webb writes, I hope I sent this in time because I thought this was a great topic. I had almost 20 ideas written down. Here are the three I went with. Number three, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. That's the Rennie Harlan one. Wait a minute. Rennie Harlan? Yeah, I remember that. Wow. A boy with a waterbed's pulled into said bed where he's killed by Freddy. Oh, so they recycled the bed. His mom later pulls the cover off the bed to find her dead son encased within the water-filled mattress. So he drowns? And he leaves the water in the bed? See, he's totally gotten more fastidious since the first one. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's Reddy Harlan's take on the blood ceiling sequence. What if it's just contained? No, I want to make a mess. Yeah, if he had put a shark inside the waterbed, that would have been awesome. Yeah. Or the sh- or a shark with, like, razor, like, the Freddy Claws' his teeth. And it's wearing the sweater, too, and the hat. Shut up, Kelly. Number two, <laughs> martyrs keep doubting. Ouch. Mm. That's a tough one to swallow. That's what the deathbed said about. It's the also not a deathbed because she doesn't die, does she? It's uh, the whole point. She's on the verge of death, but not actually dead. I, right. I believe. So, who was that, uh, Kelly? One that was Chris Webb. Chris Webb. Chris, Chris Webb. There might be what? jail time involved. I owe him too much. Or is it at the moment of death? Is the whole idea that they have some mm. insight at the moment of death, or is it through the yeah. pain? Well, I, I got don't... away with my seven picks, so he might get away with this one. Oh, good point. Yeah. That's the thing, is she's on a bed and she has no skin. So that's <laughs> an interesting combination. It does tend to induce death. Yeah, but, like, your deathbed's super uncomfortable. It's, like, worse than... But, yeah, but I think she is at the... I mean... I think that's a pretty good pick, actually. Yeah. It makes me feel queasy, but I like it. Hmm. Number one, Tree of Life. I'm trying to think. Yeah, what? Tree of Life, Deathbed. Okay, he writes, Will you die too? You're not that old yet, Mom. Young Jack grapples with death after attending the funeral of a neighborhood boy who drowned. He's faced with the reality that his mother, too, will die one day, and he imagines her inside a glass coffin in the forest. I don't remember that at all. She looks angelic with a crown of green leaves and light flowing down. A beautiful image. Also, Ms. Chastain offers a heavenly helping of decolletage. A beautiful image. <laughs> all right. God damn. This is a coffin, not a deathbed, Chris Webb. Ah, uh, is, is a really? coffin is a bed for one. All right. I'm changing all of my picks to coffins. Coffins? Did you just I mean, say if it's coffin is a bed for one? Yeah, it's a one bed or it's a twin. That's what's a, that's what's weird about the word twin bed. It's like 
one by themselves. You call it a twin? It's kind of strange. All right, whatever. Decolletage, that's a good point. Since it has decolletage, he's not going to jail. <laughs> Nick D writes, and now to bring the house down. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Number three, The Dark Crystal. The movie opens with a deathbed scene. It's actually two deathbed scenes. A thousand years ago on the planet Thra. Oh, he's, he's animating it. Here we go. Gelfling Jed is summoned. It's white people's anime. Gelfling Jed is summoned <laughs> to the hut. <laughs> That's Dark Crystal. White people anime puppets. A thousand years ago on the planet Thra. Gelfling Jed is summoned to the hut of his master Ursu, the leader of the mystics, who's dying and needs to impart some final wisdom. Meanwhile, in the Skeksis Palace, Emperor Skekso is also dying, observed by the remaining nine Skeksis, in particular Skeksil and Skekung, the two most powerful Skeksis, <laughs> vying to replace him. This is like Kim Jong-il's children. How do you keep them straight? His other two picks are like one sentence, but he goes into all this for Dark Crystal. Skexo dies by crumbling into dust, and we cut back to the mystic Ursu dying in a vanishing sparkle of stars, which of course makes sense since they are two halves of the same split creatures who will be healed when Jen completes his quest to find the Crystal Shard. Man, Nick paid a lot of attention to Dark Crystal. Oh, God. That put me into a deathbed. But good choice, dude. Like it. Don't remember Skeksis? Yeah, yeah. Those are scary things. Yeah, Skeksis. Not to be confused the, with the, with the Slee stacks from uh, Land of the Lost. Yeah. And the planet's called Thra. I didn't remember that part. I remember the word Gelfling and thinking, oh boy. <laughs> Number two, House in Sand and Fog. Colonel oh, Barani and his wife. Oh, wow. Oh, man. Which movie is that? House oh, please. It's the one where it looks like Ben Kingsley's playing a vampire on the poster. Oh, I was getting mixed up with the Lily Sobieski one. It's Jennifer Connelly. Oh, Jennifer Connelly, Ron Eldard, uh, Sharu Ashdogli. Did I say her oh, name right? Oh, very nice, Tom. And uh, Ben Kingsley. Yeah. Well, she and I are buddies on Twitter. Yeah, I bet. She retweeted something I wrote once. Yeah. I thought Ben Kingsley was a dude. No, me and Sharu Agdashli. Oh, thank you. But also, um, there's nothing with Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock where they mail each other. Yes. That's the lake house of sand and fog. <laughs> Colonel Barani and his wife Nadia have a suicide deathbed scene together after their son shot and killed. It's one of the saddest and depressing things I've ever seen. Oh, i got to check that out. Thanks. Number one, Amadeus. The Wait, you, not seen, you, you have not seen House of Sand and Fog? I don't see movies where a house is made out of two things. Dingus just explained Jennifer Connelly's in it, speaking of two things. Oh, that's a good point. Wait, yeah. is it is it though Beautiful Mind, Jennifer Connelly? Or it's or... pre Beautiful Mind. Pre Beautiful Mind, Jennifer it's Connelly. Pre opportunities. Oh, okay, man. Is she is there a horse? <laughs> Nick. Oh uh, well yeah, they, 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 you, you need to specify a horse that you put a quarter in. <laughs> Hole in the wall. Number one, Amadeus, the scene where Salieri transcribes the notes of Mozart's Requiem while Mozart oh. himself lies on his deathbed. Too febrile to write. That's not what febrile means. <laughs> You're thinking of fragile. Jesus Christ, people. No, if he's feverish, what do you mean? That's, that, that, that's, I think that's Nick D's got the correct usage there. Oh, I might be thinking of fertile. Okay, good work, Nick D. 
Jesus Christ. <laughs> febrile means feverish, doesn't it? Maybe. Right. It's fervid. What's fervent? Fervent is uh, like like uh, energetic, right? What's ferment? Ferment is the guy uh, in the Mark, Mark in the O.J. Simpson trial. Mark Ferment, the racist. <laughs> What's, isn't he our Department of National Security guy now? Mozart will be dead in the morning, and Salieri will have one more piece of music to resent and haunt him. Cheers in. Chris Markard said, "Yay, rights." Yeah. Hey guys, I kept having a problem with this 3x3 because I was fixating on the death scene or where the bodies lay to rest rather than the bed. Number three, moon. Hmm. Uh, moon. The crashed lunar rover that one of the characters is placed in near the end of the movie. Oh. Oh, you know? Well, I guess, you know, I mean... I mean, it's not a bed, but it's a place it's of resting, resting yeah. during it's his... The same yeah. shape. It's rectangular. And white doesn't you can't really recline in it very Not well. Soft. I don't know if the seat moves back. Maybe maybe the seat does go back. Number two, the witch. I suppose this is maybe more of a death duvet, but I'm going to consider the laws <laughs> consider William as a death. <laughs> also, the I would add to that uh, the baby when they play peekaboo. That's a deathbed kind of. Oh, no, because the baby doesn't die for a while. The, the log where you see the baby, the witch administering no. the baby's bodily fluids, that would be the baby's deathbed. Um, what? I'm just saying what I saw in the movie. You can't call an she electric for, chair a deathbed. Mm, if it goes back, it is. Oh, if it's a, if it's a recliner, a lazy boy yeah. recliner? Okay. Yeah, they should do that for electric chairs to make people more comfortable. Mm, that's a good point. Well, also what was that, that dead man walking, that thing that he's strapped to, is that a deathbed? When they do the, uh, the sure, yeah, lethal injection. I guess you you are reclining when they do that. You, and yeah, they probably, I'm guessing there's they do that specifically because they want, well, actually, would it make it harder for the blood to circulate from your heart? Like, if you're reclining, I think the blood, I don't know, this is grisly stuff. But it's a, it is a hospital bed. I mean, it's, it's designed... Theatrically, it'll look like a cross, but is that a deathbed? Yeah, gurney, sure. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, I guess so. I remember, what's that Errol Morris documentary where he talks to the guy about... Uh, uh, Mr. Ex- Death? Is it where he's talking, he's talking to the guy about executions, and the guy is in earnest is saying things like, you know what, it wouldn't hurt them to put up some nice posters in the execution room. And the guy's being completely serious, uh, talking about when they... I don't... Is that Mr. Death? Posters? Well, he's basically saying they should put up some artwork, something nice in the rooms so where at, uh, like in Soylent yeah. Green, where they yeah, yeah that's a good point. Soylent Green. Now that's a great deathbed. I should have picked that. Fuck. Mm. The Soylent Green one. That's nope. the best one. Nope, Kelly. One we have you down for. Let me check. George Berry's deathbed, the bed that eats from 1977. <laughs> well, Soylent Green's good deathbed. Just saying. Number one for Markardson, 2001, the beds that Doctors Hunter – oh, look what he picks. The beds that Doctors Hunter, Hunter Kimball, and Kaminsky are cryosleeping in when Hal turns uh, out their life's over. Mm. Thanks, guys. Chris. That's it for okay. listeners and deathbeds. Runners up. Good work, people. Such rich territory here. Soil and green. All right. Ah. Did you have any runners up? That's why uh, I hate okay. these. There's like so, a good one out. I don't remember exactly how it worked, 
but in Hateful Eight, aren't they on a bed when they're killing her? Yeah, so, when they're hanging her. When they're hanging her. Bed being involved, really? I thought they yeah, were on a, a bed. Yeah, yeah, does sound, both, yeah. Wounded, yeah. yeah, that does, does sound right. So that's, I was kind of thinking of that. You know, I was thinking of that, and then I kept trying to think of ways to game this as like a lake bed where somebody dies, or some other kind of bed that's not a bed bed. Oh, right, um, right. But I couldn't like get around to it. Bed of lettuce. And, and uh, a, did you say a bed of lettuce? Sure. Mm-hmm. Somebody died on a bed of lettuce. That could be. A That's how rabbit funerals are conducted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Watership Down is my favorite. And also scene. vegans. Um, and then in yep. Hesher, do, does she actually? Does he? Is he there when she dies? Is there? Is there a deathbed so, in that? Or does he? Is it just a coffin not. thing? Because yeah. I can't remember exactly in Hesher. I just remember him being in her room. I think she might have died weed. there. It does sound right. I don't recall, though. But I just like that bedroom. I like the way that he interacts with her in there. Uh, but I couldn't remember if it was an actual deathbed, and I, could, I didn't have time to see that movie. Right. So I that's bet all Hopper, she does, but not silver. So sure I am. All right, Dingus, what are we doing next week? Uh, hopefully not deathbeds. No. You're welcome. No, but uh, this category did inspire the next topic. Uh oh. Um, so there's two my my number three and my number two picks. Um, as the characters are going into the room where the deathbed is, because uh, uh, I had to watch the scene to actually see the bed itself to pick it. Um, there's this mo there there are moments in both uh, seven and twenty eight days later where the character covers his nose or cover. More than one character does this in in seven, um, because the smell is so overwhelming. And in seven, David Fincher or the production designer deals with that by hanging all those little like Christmas tree uh, scent things over on the ceiling of the room. Thing is, so, do you think those those air fresheners are Christmas trees? <laughs> they're what, pine trees. Oh, they're <laughs> pine trees. Well, I like that you associate are, it. With- with a holiday thing. <laughs> they are pine trees. Christmas trees are pine trees. That is true, but I don't think they're like holiday things, those, yeah. uh, those air fresheners. <laughs> but if you put air fresheners up over the holidays, then you can decorate them. All right. And if I'm you, sure he did that because that dude was in that bed for a year, and I'm sure at Christmas time he decorated all of those. To make it more lightly, like he took a red right. marker and just put dots to represent little ornaments on the, the green Christmas tree air fresheners. <laughs> right, or little LEDs. All right, okay. so these are your favorite smells in movies. Oh my fucking god. I can't believe we haven't done this, but I like this, Dingus. Very good. Very good. Oh my fucking god. Alright, Dingus, I think there are people listening who have some ideas. What should they do with these ideas? I think they should send them to 3 by 3 at quarter3.com. You can send as many as you want. Uh, we will only read three of them, but if you don't have more than three, if you only have one idea, just send that along. That's fine with us. And if you have an idea for the next movie we're going to see, if you have like some notes or some questions for us, uh, please also send that in an email to us with the like this ideas about this movie to 3 by 3 at quarter3.com. And Dingus, what movie will we be seeing next week? <laughs> You're welcome Why again. What? Why are you guys like... Well, just, I can tell Dingus hates it. I think he saw it and didn't like it. 
Diggis didn't see it. I know he hasn't seen it. <laughs> no, I know one of us has, but two of us have not. So that's a, it's a real split between which ones of us have seen it or not. See what he did, Kelly Wand? See? Yeah, I like him. He's not going to jail. So we're going to be seeing Split next week. Oh! <laughs> Kelly Wand, I wonder I, if this... I've already got one listener uh, who's one of my friends on Facebook who said, please let me know when you see this because I want to talk to you about it. So we've already got oh. a listener who's asking for us to see it. Kelly Wan, do you think this means Dingus should should see Shyamalan's last movie, The Visit? Yeah. All right, Dingus. Kelly Wan has spoken. Fudge. Just uh, mm. the rap parts. You may want no, to... Dingus. I mean, Kelly Wan, what's your name? Uh, nope, don't be describing things. All right. Okay, I'll try not to say anything. Yeah. Between now uh, and the end of the podcast. <laughs> no, wait, wait for the. You'll have to talk after the Vin Diesel, so stand by for that. So join, join us next week for Split and uh, Three by Three for Split and Smells. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been here with Christian McCroskey. It's Christian Murawski. And Kelly Wand. I got a Jovovich that needs scratching. Hey, Dingus, uh, Return of the Jedi Yoda is also one of my favorite smells. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! I believe some of those words. (laughs) You're fast, but not too smart. That's that's the subtitle for Fast Furious Eight. Mm. <laughs> oh yeah, and the second one, it's just Paul Walker and Tyrese, and there's no talk of family, obviously, because Venom's not on it. And uh, Paul Walker says "bro," though, like as many times as Ben Diesel says "family" and sex. Like, yeah, bro. And all Scott Tyrese bro. wants to do is eat. When am I gonna eat? I'm, we're hungry. Oh, he's super serious in that one because he's. He's been in prison because of Paul Walker. It's it's like the introduction of Tyrese. So he's not all, woo, yet. He's just like, fuck you, man. He's like all dramatic. They like fight in the clay. It's pretty intense, bro.